Hello, fellow homebrewers. JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brew Built X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brew Built Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full two inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brew Built line of options and add ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brew Built X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brew Built Conicals. You can trust Brew Built with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brew Built at morebeer.com. Home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, beer drinkers. Get ready for an all-new experience in information exchange and beer culture. Your only source source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers from around the globe right to your home. You're not just listening to broadcasters. It's the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. It's finally here, everybody. We finally made it. The first Brewing Network Meat Show. And I told you that we'd get it in order, and, and I meant it. I don't I don't mess around over here. I don't lie. <laughs> hackers aren't going to stop us, and uh, neither is anything else. Uh, it is those our, hackers. <laughs> it is our first official Mead Show, and we got a great show planned for you. I've actually overbooked this show for the first time ever. We got... Uh, several guests coming in to join us. Um, they're going to be here already. Uh, our our esteemed guest, Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot uh, Meadery, is here with us today. and He is going to be our uh, prime target for the discussion on mead today. He's going to help us out uh, to figure out all about uh, different kinds of meads that are out there and honey wines and help us to uh, figure out how to brew it ourselves, too. So get your questions ready. 888-401-BEER is the number. You can call us up. You can Skype us on Brewing Network, and you can go to the chat room and join Danielle and be able to ask all the questions that you want there also. Do it. So uh, I've also got uh, representatives from GotMead.com, which is mm. the biggest uh, home mead waking uh, mead uh, making. I'm going to do that several times today, by the way. Mead making websites out there, and also a uh, representative from HoneyWine.com, which is a commercial mead resource where you can go to find out all sorts of things about uh, commercial meaderies out there. So lots of people coming on the show. I think also later in the show, I've got an award winning mead maker uh, coming on and doing a final segment with us right about seven o'clock. Is that right? Yeah, that's a home brewer who is an avid uh, user, and I think the forum. Uh, administrator on gotmead.com also so he's going to help us out so lots of things planned uh for the for the mead show this week and we're excited about it and uh, a lot of mead mike a mead it tends to be kind of strong right uh, in in abv anyway well it can be anything from you know seven percent to fourteen percent as far as the government's concerned okay but typically it's in the same category as wine so it is okay 14 so I got a feeling that by the end of the show we might have a little buzz happening. Uh, I know that's really weird for the Brewing Network to uh, have that happen, but uh, I-, I think it's going to. Dr. Scott uh, is uh, on his way. He'll, he'll be here soon. 
He had a big brew today with his club, the, the, which is something that you uh, can do with your homebrew clubs. I think lots of them do it, where you all get together and you have a big homebrew. You bring some friends and teach people how to do it who have never done it. I hope he has a safe ride over here. He should. I think he's fine. I spoke to him, and uh, he was sober and driving safely and bringing us food. Oh, terrific. So, yeah. So that, that'll be fun. So Dr. Scott will be here, and he's also bringing mead with him. Ooh. Yeah. Homebrewed so, mead? Uh, some of it is homebrewed. Yeah, I think he has a commercial mead and, and some homebrewed mead. My first encounter with mead basically was when we went to the North Cal Homebrew Festival. Oh, yeah. yeah. This year, a few weeks ago. Had some good ones, too. Uh, a nice uh, uh, boysenberry mead, I think, oh, was the best one. That was there. a really good one. I prefer yeah. the not-so-sweet meads, actually. Okay. Well, we're going to find out uh, all about that because there are sweet meads and there's dry meads, and and Mike's going to help us right. decipher all of that business. I've actually got a co- I've got a home brewed mead sent in by a listener that we're going to taste later. I've had mm. it for a while, and a, a commercial mead, which is this award. I'm sure you'll know what it is when I show it to you, Mike. Although I don't know the name of it, um, but you'll know it. I, I know you will um, because I've seen it around before. And it's this uh, it's a it's a really fantastic mead that uh, a listener sent to us. I think as a gift last Christmas. And we've been holding on to it because that's how long we've been planning this mead show. I remember us crying yeah. over it yes. when it was sent in for us. Yes. So I have that, and we're going to be doing um, all sorts of tastings to get things uh, underway with that. Dr. Scott, how are you, sir? Hey, good, good, good. We were just talking about you and hoping you were having a safe drive over here. Of course, of course. Okay. Uh, we still have a couple things to get to before we get into the mead. Uh, first of all, you all should know, uh, if you've been listening for the last couple weeks, then you know already, the store is replenished with uh, merchandise. But it's running out quick. If you need a large shirt, I suggest you buy it soon because larges are almost gone again. I was surprised. I thought that all of our listeners were fat. And uh, so I thought the XLs would be what goes, but, but not I, not the case. I think it's just wishful thinking. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so uh, if you want a large shirt, get there quick. They're going fast, and then you'll have to wait for me to replenish it. And you, you can know buy extra large and shrink it. I'm shrink good it. at that. Although our <laughs> shirts are 50-50 shirts. I went for the higher quality. They they tend to last longer if it's 50% polyester, 50% cotton. Mm. So they don't shrink quite as much. No, they don't. But if you put it in a dryer on high heat for two hours, <laughs> for a couple hours it's your size. It'll do it. And then, of course, our one-hour boil is up there. If you listen to uh, last week's show with John Palmer, you'll know what you're in store for. It's a John Palmer one-hour boil, and uh, it's a great interview, so you can get that too. And don't forget our Brewing Network Conical Christmas, brought to you by Beer, Beer, and More Beer. And uh, also, oh, shame on me. <laughs> Where's my note of the name of my other sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> HCA Industries. I know the I know him personally. Not Brian, his, not his company. Of course, it's Brian H two in the form. He's our sponsor. His company is HCAIND.com. You can go there. They're bringing you the BN's Conical Christmas, which starts next week, the first week in November, and uh, we have a great show in general planned for you next week. Stone Brewing Company is coming on the show, and we've been working with them for a while to get him in here. But now is the perfect opportunity because their new brewer has crossed over to the uh, the good side from the dark side. He's an <laughs> he's an ex Budweiser brewer, okay. and he now does all the beers for Stone. And they're going to be in here talking to us too, as well as it's our first week to register to win yourself. Yeah, I'd like to hear about the transition. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting discussion. He's doing both the FM show and this show, so we're going to get lots of information out of them. And the transition is the most exciting part, I think. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, And just to clarify, once again, I did clarify it uh, last week. Podcaster listeners, archive listeners, you too have a chance to win the conical. So don't worry. It's not just live listeners, uh, but if you want to double up your chances to win, you're going to need to listen in live. 
So there you go. Listen live and archive if you want to uh, <laughs> up your chances to bring home a condom. Live or is it archive? Okay, one thing I need to talk about, and I'll try to be brief about it, but you know how these things get to me. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice has been wrecked for three days, too. So as the You've been a mess. As the show goes, you'll get me to shut up and just let Mike do all the talking later <laughs> on about me. You guys will be happy about that. So our site got hacked <gasps> by some Turkish hackers. It was like the... Uh, like the Turkish Youth Liberation Org... I don't even know. It was terrible. I don't even know what they were trying to say. I could not believe it would happen. I was so angry. I, yeah. One of my best friends at work, my coworker, he's Turkish. And you took it out on him? Oh, my God. <laughs> I so took it out on him. Like all Turks are hackers now. <laughs> exactly. I was really unfair. <laughs> Did you see, Doc? Did you see what happened oh, yeah. to our site? Yeah. Did you go there and see the, like, the message that was posted and all um, that? Was it uh, code put it up again? So yeah. So we could see that's where how i saw it so uh, i'm real laid back about this stuff we got hacked over a couple over a period of a couple of days and the first time that it happened um it got put up relatively quickly and all the listeners were kind of up in a in a in a roar about it they're like oh my god the site's hacked the site's down and uh jimmy fixed it relatively quickly i changed a bunch of passwords didn't fa- i thought it was funny I, th- I think that kind of thing is humorous it's gonna happen and i thought it was funny like it, it, like, if we had just gotten hacked by something that wasn't funny, then it might have annoyed me. <laughs> but I thought that the Turkish Youth Liberation Group, as if Turkey is occupied by some, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not. Uh, I just, I found it funny. So, whatever, I changed a bunch of passwords and uh, went about our business. Well, by the next day, I guess, you know, uh, the hackers just, they did a, they made it worse. And they got into the, they hacked the store and they hacked the main, they, they, messed everything up so then it took us a little bit longer then it wasn't so funny haha anymore yeah especially with no meat yeah that's right we couldn't do our friday show no lunch meat on friday uh because i had no homepage for anybody to go to to click listen links uh plus i was i was busy trying to put our store back together and things like that Uh, it seems to be fine now here is the good part of this story and this is uh letting silver lining there there is a silver lining and it's again a big props uh to our listeners and for those of you um, who aren't active in our forum, another reason for you to go there and be active because uh, this is just cool stuff. We have the best listeners on the planet. All right. Anytime something goes wrong, they're the first ones to call us and send us emails and packages and they, they just want to help. Our listeners want to help so much and they're a very diversified group of people with a lot of skills. Oh yeah. Out there. I mean, Definitely. we've got, we've got welders and manufacturers and doctors and, um, computer engineers and you name it. We oh, got them. Everything. Yeah. So they're really cool and they're always sending us ways to help. And this help I didn't even know was coming, but it's, it's just a little bit of poetic justice. So as I, uh, am finishing up on de-hacking the store, and as uh, Jamil and our admin also, uh, who runs brewmonkey.com, great website, as they're uh, finishing de-hacking our, our homepage, turns out that the, the homepage of our hackers disappeared. It had been hacked. <laughs> our hackers got hacked. And, uh, I mean, instantly when, when we got hacked, our listeners went out to find out their IP address and where their host is and, and all this stuff. What do they have? What do they do? So for a couple of days, we had the link to their site on our site, on our forum so that people could go look and see who it was that did this. Well, if you go to that link now, you, you can't find anything. It's a site not there. So 
Basically, some of our uh, fantastic and loyal listeners who happen to be really good at this computer coding stuff. Hackers. They went and hacked them. <laughs> they <laughs> hacked them back. They were like, you don't mess with the Brewing Network. Uh, and went right back and hacked them. And I think that that is awesome. Like, here I was a little frustrated. And I spent a lot of time fixing the store back up. I was kind of down in the dumps. I finish everything up. I go look at our forum, and I realize that uh, I got a little retribution via our <laughs> listeners. And it totally made my night. Like, it just – I was like, this is fantastic that one of our listeners would go and give them a little payback. Because when it happens, you feel helpless. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's one I, of those – It's like identity theft. It is. And it's one of those situations where somebody else is having fun at your expense, and there's nothing you could do except for fix what they broke – and then go on about your business. Yeah. You feel very helpless. Violated. And I felt not so helpless at all when one of our listeners went out there and just dished it right back. And apparently they did a better job uh, dishing it to them than they did doing it to us because they're still not back up and running as far as I can tell. You go to their site and uh, it's gone entirely. Bob, you on the phone? Yeah. What's happening, man? Calling about the digital swirly we got there. Yeah, the hack. Yeah, suck. Oh, just wanted to... Make everybody aware that uh, you, you did mention the store got hacked. I wanted to make uh, remind everyone that there's no financial information about anyone in there, so they're not uh, going to yes. get like their credit card stolen or something from buying in the store. We were at least semi not retarded in in not <laughs> keeping that information ourselves. Thank you, Bub. Bub makes a, a good point of uh, a lot of the uh, extremely poor decisions I've made with the Brewing Network. One of the smartest things I ever did was decide that PayPal should handle all of our transactions. And they do. When you go to our store, uh, as soon as you go to any of the payment part, you're directed to PayPal's website, not mine, because I knew that we would never want to deal with uh, the SSL licensing and all that security uh, within our site. So thank you, Bob. You make an excellent point. Uh, all financial information is held by PayPal, just like your normal PayPal account. So none of that was hacked. Uh, they they were not bright enough to get into PayPal. These people were, were morons. And um, so all they did was mess up our pages. They, they replaced our pages with their pages. So fear not, and don't be afraid to use our store in the future, because, again, we don't do any of that uh, stuff. PayPal does it for us. So excellent point, Boop. Absolutely. Yeah, they Have were a good backups. show, too. Thanks, Bob. We'll see you later. Yeah, bye. Uh, so there you go. Bub uses the same store as we do also, and um, I went over with him all the security breaches that we found, and uh, hopefully we've got that all fixed up uh, for both of us. But I don't know, silver lining at the end. So thank you to the uh, listener and or listeners who used your skills to uh, pay back these bastards. You know? How dare they? They needed to be paid back. I really, I felt so helpless. It was just a great... Uh, Great way to end the weekend, end the yeah. night. I'm just a little out. terrified that the war is on now with them and yeah. that they're going to come back. Well, but you know what? They use a robot type okay. of thing to hack. So they hacked so many sites that uh, it could have, you know, it could have been anybody right. as far as I'm concerned. Unless, of course, they're tuned in right now and listening to me tell them that they're uh, Turkish youth liberation bastards. Then, At least uh, it looked like they were fighting for a good thing. I mean, Ata- <laughs> they were referring to what? Ataturk and that's a good guy for Turkey. He was uh, the one to establish to establish the first Turkish Republic. Okay. So that's a good thing. Uh, good for them. But yeah. I don't speak any Turkish, so I don't know what else was in there. Yeah, they could have been saying kill him. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's dead. You didn't ask your co-worker? Because <laughs> no, that's not going to work. No, I, I didn't talk to my co-worker. I just bitched at him all week. <laughs> and ignored him. <laughs> yeah. Like it was his fault. 
Uh, okay. So that's the deal with that. Uh, everybody, please, uh, continue to use our website and, and fear not, we got those hackers back. Those bastards. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just a big, uh, pain in the ass. Oh my god! You've got mail. Kick Alright, let's do our feedback like we always do. Lots of messages this week. Some of them very long-winded. Which I don't mind, but they're not gonna go over the air because it's, uh, just too long to, to read. But here's a question. Hey, Brewcasters, I've been brewing for almost a year now and all-grain brewing now for about six months. I use five-gallon stainless steel pot with a lid as my mash tun, two plastic buckets as a louder tun, and empty my wort into a ten-gallon stainless steel pot. At the end of the boil, I use an immersion chiller to get the temp down and then pour my wort into the fermenter. The problem is that my ten-gallon pot does not have a spigot, so I'm still emptying my wort the same way I've always done. Uh, which is pouring it through a strainer into a glass fermenter. It says, I do this uh, by myself, mind you, by tipping it sideways from the propane burner, which is above the fermenter. Once the hot pellet sludge hits the strainer, it gets stuck, and I find myself scraping it to the sides of the strainer just so the work can continue into the fermenter. And it sometimes will take a good 20 minutes to a half hour to empty the brew pot. I've tried whirlpooling a couple times, but it seems like I'm still pouring a lot of the trube into my fermenter. Uh, so, a long story short is that he wants to know, is there an easy way to remove wort without the trube from a brew kettle that has no spout? Uh, he's tried siphoning. Let's see, what does he say about siphoning? Uh, he says that if he siphons, he's afraid he's still going to get a lot of trube into the fermenter. Um, so he wants to know, Doc, if there's an easy way to get uh, from his kettle to his fermenter. And I'm going to go back to siphoning, even oh, though yeah. he's had I trouble Definitely with it. racking cane. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and whirlpool, get it most of it to the bottom. It should settle down if you settle out pretty far if you're going to be uh, using an immersion chiller. And to just keep uh, keep the racking cane up above. You know, if you just sit there and watch it anyway, you might as well just keep it just above, and you'll get a lot less tube in it than when you're pouring it. Yeah. And that's the thing. He says he's tried the whirlpool but still gets true. Whirlpooling and tipping your pot it's are just, counterproductive. Exactly. So if you're going to whirlpool, you have to siphon. And yep. that's that's really going to be the best way to do it. Now, he did mention that he's heard of siphoning by putting some sort of a mesh at the bottom of your siphon. Yeah, some people use uh, stainless steel scrubby yeah. at the end of that. But if you're just careful, most of it's at the bottom anyway. And you just keep the, the racking cane just above the top of the tube. Or just and then also you could you could you keep using your strainer. You could siphon, have your strainer on top of your carboy like you like you have right. been doing, and then get that extra uh, protection. So whatever you are pulling up through the siphon, it's going to be a lot less, and uh, you might not clog your strainer as you have been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely spending twenty minutes transferring your wort and also digging in there to move true beside. I'm thinking contamination problems. Like I, at least more the so. danger yeah. of uh, yeah, you're up in the danger of that. Yeah, quite a bit more. You're gonna want to be careful with that. Plus, you know, standing over that tipped thing, yeah, kind of hurts your back for twenty minutes. That's right. Too. Uh, your other option is to get one of those uh, no weld spigots. Uh, a lot of the bigger brew houses, uh, homebrew supplies have them, and you just drill a hole. It's got two O-rings on either side. Clamp it down, and then you'll have a spigot. There you go. 
That's a good idea. Just drill it yourself and mm-hmm. put that right in there, and you yeah. don't have to get somebody to weld it. Uh, the last thing I would suggest, and this is what I used to do when I used to have to pour. I would pour into one carboy. It's extra work, I know, but uh, it, it worked for me when I was concerned about a lot of tube getting in there. I'd pour into one carboy, and then I'd let the tube settle out before I ever pitched. And then rack. And then I would rack to another carboy, right. and that was the cleanest uh, uh, cleanest wort I ever got was by doing it that way. So it is an extra step, but if you're that concerned about it, you could do it that way. Go ahead and, and siphon or just dump it like you have been, uh, and then siphon once you've put it into one carboy or, or bucket into another one. Yeah. So a couple suggestions for you, but definitely get away from spending 20 minutes doing And, and don't worry about a little bit of troop in there. It's, it's okay. Yeah. True, true. Uh, here you go. Hey, I've been listening to you guys for a week live, but for two months in the archives, and I would really like to walk around with a Brewing Network shirt. But I see that you don't have any fat F size for uh, beer drinkers <laughs> uh, size such as me. He says, by the way, I'm looking for a 4X. Oh, my. Oh, wow. He says, just that I like that roomy size and that I'm a fat F. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, I don't know. I'll can see you get what one? I can do. Well, actually, actually, you need two. One for Oz and one for him. <laughs> for somebody else. No, let one for me, Oz. Let me see what I could do. Uh, it's going to be an expensive shirt because they charge like it's two twice bucks much. every time I go up a size over extra large. Yeah, well, it's more material for him. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more material. I, I like, I'll tell you what, if I get you the 4X... I gotta have a picture of you in this forex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe we could use it as our new banner. <laughs> that's gonna be a big. Uh, that's a big shirt. It's a car cover. I can't even remember seeing a forex. And I'm all right with you being for. That's cool, man. I, I, whatever, whatever it does for you. But I'm just thinking. I I can't keep a bunch of forexes in stock. So let me see if I can just order one or two the next time I order shirts. I'll try to hook a brother up if I can do that. Here's a really good one that I got, and it's long winded, so I might skip through it. It's a new listener. He says, I bought an MP3 player a couple of months ago for $23,900 plus tax. <laughs> what? He says, I'm a geezerly sort, 60 years old, uh, not likely to buy the iPod type. But this thing happened to be attached to the Honda Civic Hybrid, so uh, I figured, <laughs> what the hell. So he got himself a new car. He's got an iPod to it. The sound system has a PC card slot, and although I thought it was cool, I had no idea what to do with it. Then I read the article in BYO that mentioned your podcast uh, operation. So I downloaded a bunch of episodes to a CF memory card and plugged it in. And now he says, wow, what a fun way to while away the hours on my daily commute. Can you imagine what people are thinking of me driving through Hollywood, California, laughing my ass off? At first, I was concerned that between my 30-minute commutes, I might lose the train of thought and discussions on the shows. But I was very pleased to discover that actually, there is no train of thought (laughs) to your shows. (laughs) He says, the BN is amazing. Here's where he makes some really good points. He says, the BN is amazingly rich in inside jokes that take a long time to figure out. He says, I've ciphered several dozens of them, but I still have a long way to go. And maybe that's part of the fun, but maybe not. It occurs to me that you might be able to bring new listeners up to speed more quickly and have some fun with at the same time by creating sound bites for the breaks that include flashbacks to the origins of some of those inside jokes. Yeah, great idea. He says, for instance, I'm sure if I downloaded enough stuff from the archives, I would come across the instance of the debut of Daniela's Vigorously. 
that's just me being stupid. Yeah, yeah but there was, the there was a story. But there was a, segment, a story. In a segment of the show, story. yep. And he makes a great point. You'd have to really go back and find those. He says, since I love foreign and regional accents and really appreciate language differences, I think it's absolutely adorable. I'll Aww. bet that when it first came up, it was hilarious. Uh, but it, it may be quite a while before I get that deep into the archives. Uh, he said some other topics that could use a bit of explaining include who the hell is Jamil Z? <laughs> that is a good question. He says, I know, but I'll bet most don't understand what a homebrewing legend he is. And that may be true. We call him the Pope around here, but we've not uh, described. So that's, a, that's another inside joke. Yes. yes. Uh, we've not described we like, where that comes from. one inside joke with another one. That's true. <laughs> so I might do these soundbites sound to explain things. He says, uh, is drink, motherfucker, drink one of Doc's old frat chants? <laughs> he wants to know. Uh, no, that just came up in the song, actually. Uh, if you don't know the song, it plays before every show, but you have to listen live to get to it. Uh, he says, who the hell are all these people that show up in the studio? <laughs> Maybe we need a who's who of the BN. And he's probably right about that. He says, B3 is an incredible resource, but maybe some wonder who they are. I doubt it, but he might be right. <laughs> they might wonder who B3 is. It's Beer, Beer, and More Beer, one of the best uh, homebrewing resources and uh, stores on the planet. The best. Is Doc the covert star of the movie The Secret Life of Dentists? <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Crosley, doesn't this poor bastard have a life? If he does, what does he do in the real world? Surely this can't be all that there is. With a babe like Daniela, why does he prefer to waste his time with us beer geeks? Yeah, what's the answer? These are all good questions. (laughs) I don't know. Some of them uh, will remain unanswered forever. Uh, Okay, and then he has also said he's worried that the Winniconical contest sounds that it's limited to uh, the live Sunday listeners. Uh, And that's not true. Uh, Keep listening to the podcast and you will hear your way to win a conical fermenter. I wholeheartedly support your efforts. Please let us all know how best we can help. And that's from Chris in, in uh, Hollywood, California. So a lot of good suggestions there. And oh, yeah. uh, when I get the time, I think it would be a great idea that at the breaks I could run some old bits. I, I do some now, but not ones designed to explain our inside jokes. I just pick out other ones randomly. So I'll go back and, and try to find some of those things and throw them in. Some, some yeah, kind of like where Flufa came from. Exactly. Things like that. Although I kind of like the part that you have to, you know, kind of hang around and figure out what's happening. The inside jokes are inside for a reason. Yeah, you got to listen. Forums there. Listen long enough to become an insider. Um, they need just to ask you why you spend so much time, you know, doing this as opposed to being with Daniela and whatnot. Yeah. But yet, yet now you're responding <laughs> with just doing more of this. And yeah. More time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now I'll spend more time on this. It's a, it's a good point. Chris Graham just joined us in the studio to help us out with the Mead Show too. I got a weird email from the Vinnie Puppet this week. Hmm. <laughs> that's weird that's as in strange. He, was, <laughs> he wasn't angry? Weird? Yeah. No. Weird as in really... Uh, I'll read it to you. This is from the Vinnie Puppet. The guy wanted to know who the hell the Vinnie Puppet was, too. <laughs> uh, hello, my favorite brewcasters. I really enjoyed last week's show and took a lot from John Palmer. He is a wonderful person. As always, Doc was great. And Justin, you kept the show together really well. I can't wait for the next show. As always, I love you all, the V Puppet. Nah, that's not him. What the hell? Oh, he must be. He's he didn't. On, he's on meds now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Prozac. Yeah, exactly. What's the Prozac's <laughs> kicking in? It must be. He gave you props. Yeah, I said I did a good job. He called John Palmer. He called any him calling anybody a wonderful person. <laughs> Wait, uh, maybe John is Vinnie Puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe John Palmer is the Vinnie Puppet. That's uh, 
Something, something is askew here. Something is. So we'll have to wait and see what else we get from the Vinnie Puppet. I just figured you'd all want to know. I, I'm almost fearing what the retort will be from next week's. Like, yeah. like that if that wasn't the real Vinnie Puppet. Yeah. And the real Vinnie Puppet's going to come on down hard. Oh yeah, he's going to be upset about all that. All right, the last bit of email came to me through the folks at BeerTools.com, who, by the way, I've never spoken to or anything. I do like their site. Um, I, I, I used to use it quite a bit before I started the BN. Uh, and he just says, hello, some of our users wanted us to tell you about the launch of our new standalone Mac and PC brewing application. They launched it October 24th. And there's a whole article on it on BeerTools.com. So I'm happy to do that. Uh, it's it's their version of ProMash, basically. It's the BeerTools version. And they did a, a, a an updated version so that you can you Mac users can use it as well. And I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to say whether it's good or bad. I don't know. I'll check it out and um, and, and report back. But um, Aren't we planning on doing a show on uh, brewing? We, we are, software? except that I've not spoken to them. So I don't know if they're going to they're gonna, uh, do it or not. It sounds like they will. I mean, I think it's funny that they sent the email instead of saying, like, hey, w- would you talk about our new thing? They just said some of our users want you to talk about it. That's it's a, little, it's a little roundabout, but uh, no big deal. Uh, so I will be contacting them, though, and, and see if they do want to do a show. We're going to do one with them and then one with ProMash and let you guys figure out what you like or if you like both. So um, the Vinnie Puppet's now sending me instant messages. That says "f you ass hat." Now I'm off the Prozac, <laughs> and, and that email did come through weeks ago. So uh, it's, it's, I guess uh, he's, you know, he's back to his <laughs> back to his old self. So, all right, that's that. We still have a little bit of time for uh, you know what it's time for. Oh. Daniela's world vigorously. What do you got for us this week, Daniela? <laughs> I brought to you International Halloween. Ah, I've learned in the past two years what Halloween is in the U.S. It basically means that you have to dress up like a slut and go out and kiss <laughs> as many guys as you potentially can. Is that what it is? That's what it is. I figured it out. How come we haven't <laughs> gone out for Halloween? <laughs> because I know better and lock you inside of the house. It's too bad. Yeah, so um, Halloween in some sorts is um, celebrated all over the world, um, but it's a really different thing all over the world. For example, let me tell you what people in Wales do. In Wales, people build Halloween fires, um, and then they se- the celebration is very somber. Each of the family is to write his or her name on a white stone, which is then thrown in the fire. Then all of the family members march around the fire, praying for good fortune. The next morning, after the fire has died out, each member shifts through the ashes to search for the stone. If any stone is missing, it means that the spirits will call upon the soul of that person. Wow, that's a little morbid. <laughs> I'm glad, I, I like our uh, tits and ass <laughs> Halloween a lot better than that. So do I. Um, also in Italy. In I'm going Itali- to steer clearer there next Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In Italy, families prepare a special feast for the souls of the departed on All Souls Day, which is November 1st, right? You guys know that here, too. Sure. Oh, well. Like, we don't celebrate it, but we know. You know about it. It's not a holiday. We don't take off for All Souls Day. Well, it's an extremely important Catholic holiday, uh, actually. As a Catholic, it's one of the most important days in in the year, actually, to us. So anyways, uh, the family... To us. When's the last time you celebrated All Souls Day? Well, I do, but I just don't hang out with you then because you're, like, from the other side. Okay. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> the families would go to church all day, leaving their houses open to the spirits so the spirits could enter and enjoy the feast. When the family came home to find that the feast hadn't been consumed, it meant that the spirits disapproved of their home and would work evil against them during the coming year. 
So like everybody happened all the time. Yeah, that's ridiculous because <laughs> who would go home and find the foodie? I don't know. And that's if they did, you know, then you I mean, look at the neighbors, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or if there is no other uh, answer except that the souls actually did come in and eat your food, I'd be a lot more nervous about them damning you for the year and not eating your food. <laughs> it's what your ancestors do, Justin. I don't know. You're half Italian, so you tell me. Oh. <laughs> I, I've never, I've never heard of that. In Mexico, people have a picnic, picnic lunches on the graves of their relatives, as this is a day of remembrance, happiness, and celebration. For the picnic, they bake bread and make candy in the shape of a skull, crossbones, and casket, or a skeleton. That's what the Mexicans do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's very different. I told you. Yeah. I also brought you a couple of recipes that I posted on our forum, uh, specific pumpkin and beer recipes. One is for a pumpkin and beer chili. And the other is just a pumpkin and beer soup. Very nice. One uses Rauchbier, the other one uses Pilsner. Oh, Find us on the forum uh, under General Beer Related. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that is Daniela's World. Vagaros. Happy Halloween. Thank hey. you very much. I, I like, like my song. It's like to song. <laughs> All right, we got a great show planned for you. It's the Mead Show, and Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Bre- uh, Meadery is with us today. You're the first meadery, so if I say brewery over and over, Mike, my apologies. You're breaking ground here. Not a problem. So, okay. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Mike all about the, the meads, and we've got a lot of other guests uh, coming in for you today, too. Chris Graham has just joined us in the studio. We've got some homebrewed mead to taste. We've got Mike's mead from Rabbit's Foot, and we're going to find out the history of Rabbit's Foot Meadery. And then find out all about meads and how to make them ourselves. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network.
back to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters. On the Brewing Network. All right, welcome back to the Meat Show here on the Brewing Network. It's our first official Meat Show, and it's going to be a long one. I got a lot of guests lined up to make sure we get all the information out to you. Our special guest in the studio with us today, and really glad that he made it because he had to uh, take the trip down from Sunnyvale, California. But that is Mike Fowl, who uh, runs and uh, brews the meat for Rabbit's Foot Meadery, and uh, the what uh, owner, founder, the whole uh, kit and caboodle, right? Well, my wife is the founder. I'm actually the uh the guy that works there. Ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I sweep the floor. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> and Mike's brought in some of uh, his uh, meads and sicers and honey wines, and I'm going to let him, uh, you know, tell you about all of those descriptors uh, in just a minute. But let's find out a little bit about Rabbit's Foot first. For uh, folks that don't know, uh, how long has Rabbit's Foot Meadery been around? The company was originally started in 1994 in my garage, and we spent about five or six years in there until the city found out that we were actually in there and kicked ah, us out. No kidding. How'd they yeah. find out? Who turned you in? Well, you have to get a business license, so you know they finally realized that there was a guy operating a winery in his garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though all the, the federal licensing and the state licensing were all legal, the, the city basically wanted to, to kick us out because oh, they were afraid our neighbors might be, you know, have the offensive smells of, of winemaking. Now, was there yeah. an actual ordinance that says you couldn't do that, or or, or did they just sort of you know running a business up? in that neighborhood? Maybe. Well, no. Mm-hmm. So the city of Sunnyvale has some really weird laws about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do as a home business, and okay. uh, we kind of went through the gamut with them on what we were allowed to do. Everything from you know you walk down one day and they ask you if you've got uh, you know a, a health department permit. And you yeah. kind of say, well, gee, I didn't know I needed one of those. Sure. So you, go, you go down to the health department and the health department kind of asks you, well, what kind of business do you have? And say, like, oh, I'm a winery. And they're like, oh no, health wineries are exempt from uh, oversight from the health department. Is that right? Yeah. So then you go That's back to the city. Yeah, you go back to the city with a letter and from them, and they say, well, uh, food and drug will never let you do it. Yeah, yeah. Go to Food and Drug, and they basically tell you the same thing. Wineries in California are pretty much exempt from everything other than taxes. What's nice. with that? Is that like a lobby thing? Yeah, or probably. Do, because they do well for the California economy. I'm actually kind of surprised that it wasn't like the, um, what do they call it, water treatment. Oh, no. That, that yeah. seems to be the number one enemy is of small wineries. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so, so we kept going back and forth with the city on, you know, what you were allowed to do and what you weren't allowed to do. And every time we'd come back with a letter from one of these, uh, you know, organizations saying that we were totally allowed to do it. So finally they, they gave in, they caved, they said, okay, we'll submit your application to the uh, city council and uh, we'll let you know what happens. Okay. They came back two weeks later and basically said, sorry to deny your license because uh. you're going to have more space than is allowed for a home-based business. And how long had you been doing it at that point? About five years. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So we moved out into a commercial space. It was about a 1,000 square feet at the time, and then we've since grown into about 6,000 square feet. Oh, fantastic. So now answer me this. Kind of a blessing in disguise getting kicked out of the house? or, or? Uh, More of a motivation than anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know? It's like you could, do it, you could do 200 gallons a year in your house and give it away to your friends. If you want to sell a, a drop of it, you have to get a license. So yeah, yeah. That's kind of where we started. Okay. 
All right, so you moved out, you got, you went to commercial space, and I know that you've just recently, very recently, moved into the newest commercial space, the yeah, 6,000 square right. feet you're in talking June about. June of this year, and that was kind of a, a blessing in disguise as well. We've had lots of blessings over the years, but this particular one, we, we got kicked out of our old building because they're, the, uh, the owner decided he was going to tear all the buildings down and sell them to build houses. Ah, I see. So we had really no choice. Yeah, it was one of those yeah. deals. Yeah. Well, the only problem is we had this, you know, giant bottling machine that we just put in there several months before that uh, and then we had to pick up and move that again uh nice of him to tell you that was going to happen yeah yeah so now you're in a new spot though and uh do you find you know were you guys reaching capacity anyway is that why you went for a bigger space or we originally moved into the bigger space to take care of some production issues as far as just storage of product and then being able to make enough for you know the customers that we were selling to and now you know you know like i said it was a blessing in disguise because now we're actually growing even more some of our other products are taking off really well you know, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. just, it's just a pain in the butt moving all the time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that's what happened. Now, we had Mike uh, scheduled uh, another time before, and it was right when you guys were finishing that move, and it just was real bad timing, and, and you had to get that operation going, so I'm glad that you guys got it done, and now you're in the new spot. Well, me too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a move from a small building into a big building, and then we find out we had to move, so we had to move into another bigger building. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, all blessings. Better than, like, having to go back to your garage because things aren't going out, going too well, you know? Yeah, wouldn't be too bad if it was big enough. (laughs) Okay, now listen, there's going to be a lot of things that uh, you're going to need to correct us on, uh, me in particular, when it comes to mead. So uh, I'm going to go real A to Z with you. I want you to start, uh, you know, with the basics. Uh, It seems to me in in what I know of mead, most mead making in our country now, uh, although it does seem to be changing, is home mead making. Um, And so were you a a home mead maker before you start uh, this also? Sure. I was actually a home brewer making beer and then i took my wife to ireland i'm originally from ireland by the way but uh, took her to home to ireland to meet the family and on the way back she found a bottle of meat at the duty free and and came home drank it all loved it couldn't find any more and she said well you make beer why don't you make me some mead (laughs) i I said okay it's just honey and water might as well give it a try so i did and then you know next thing you know i got 200 gallons a year going in the garage for all of her friends oh so she's just giving it out i love the uh why don't you make me sentence instead of like hey could you uh no why don't you make me some mead right (laughs) it's just it's just honey and water and you know the beer has yeast in it so if you put sugar in it and it's got to be the same yeah okay Similar but different, right? Yeah. Well, so how do your first batches, when you you know think of it that way in very simplistic terms, how do your first batches compare to what you're doing now? Uh, the first batches were kind of gross. Okay. You know, I mean, I think it's the same for pretty much everybody when they start the first time, and then yeah. they progressively get better depending on you know whether you're interested in making them better or not, of course. And the same with the beer too, not just the oh, meat, sure, yeah, know. everything. I mean, it's all the same, right? Yeah. So, you know. But, uh, you know, you get to a certain point where you kind of scratch your head and you say, okay, what else can I do, right? Can yeah. I just, you know, do you, do you focus on just one particular recipe that you've got or do you try to expand that recipe and make a bunch of different things? Yeah. And then, you know, once you get the, the, the real bug, you'll start experimenting. You know, different yeasts, different quantities of different types of honey from different places around the world. And the next thing you know, you've got 45 five-gallon buckets in your garage. Wow. Yeah. I think the next thing you know, you have 45 five-gallon, because that's a lot of mead right there. I haven't, I haven't used a five-gallon bucket in years, though. Is that right? Now you've, now I was you've actually got interested it. in your conical fermenter you were talking about. I need a, a, a new, uh, a new fermenter, but I don't know if this one's big enough. Oh, well, you're gonna, you're talking, the, the man's sitting right next to you there. He's the guy. How many gallons of a, of a conical, let me do this for you here, Chris. I'll take care of it. How many gallons conical you need? 
Uh, well, we don't really measure it in gallons anymore. You don't? No. So you need barrels. Barrels, right. I'm looking for 30 barrels. He could do it. They have wine <laughs> supplies over at uh, Beer, Beer, More Beer now, and some commercial wine supplies even, yeah. so they might be able to help you out over there. All top quality stuff, Mike. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> How was that, Graham? Perfect. I'll pay you later. <laughs> Thank you. Cha-ching. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, you, you then at, at some point decide to, to make the move up to a, a commercial, you know, meadery. And what I'm curious about is it's really a niche market. And in some ways, that's exactly why somebody should go into business because you find a niche and you can fulfill it. In other ways, it's it's sort of a curse because it, it's a very limited market as well. So I'm really curious your thought process in, you know, can I go commercial? Well, there was enough demand from people after my wife giving away 200 gallons every year. That's a good you know, motivator. To, you know, to sit there and say, okay, well, I can do it in the garage for a little while and, and make, you know, make at least enough money to pay back for the, the bits of equipment that I'm using or for the glass or the bottles or the corks or, you know, what have you, right? Yeah. Just enough to cover the cost of making it, you know, if it, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, no loss because you're going to make it anyway. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, you, you, making the leap to a full sort of commercial scale really wasn't, I wouldn't say, a, a, a big leap, right? We went from having, you know, 45 buckets scattered around the garage all the time to having two 30-gallon stainless buckets okay. in the garage. I gotcha. Right, and then you're just making more and more of it, you know, more often. Yeah. Right, I mean, the the real leap is when you actually say, okay, now I'm going to take some of my own money out of my savings account. Yeah. Or borrow money from a bank, which is the case for, for several of the other people that are doing startups in this industry, anyway, if you want to call it an industry. Yeah. Right. And then go out and buy equipment. Okay. Right. Once you make that leap, then it's kind of a different story where you actually have to sit there and say, okay, now I've got to go back and, and pay that back into my savings account somehow yeah. by making enough product to sell. Right. And now you have to make X amount of dollars a month and, yes. and the whole bit. Right. And then once you move out of your garage into a commercial space, unless you own the building and you have rent, then you have... Yeah. The overhead mounts up. Once you add some employees, you've got all that overhead as well. Yeah. So yeah. So now you go from making 200 gallons, you know, a year to have having to have to make, you know, 2,500 cases a year. Yeah. Or you know, 5,000 cases a year, whatever you're making, right? Right. Well, it sounds to me then like you you kind of then counted on your built-in audience. You already knew people were drinking your mead. You just were going to upgrade to them having to pay to drink your mead. True. Yeah. We we originally our plan was basically just to to have all of our friends tell all of their friends. Yeah. You know, and then grow organically, which okay. is pretty much what we've been doing. At least you know, for the first I'd say seven years. Right. Okay. The first seven years we're all just we're all about you know making enough product, putting labels on it, giving it away to friends, and then you know. You know, selling some to some people. Yeah. And a lot of product development. I wasn't in a hurry to, to kind of launch a company and make a million dollars or try sure. to make a million bucks, you know, but, you know, you, once you get to a certain point and people start drinking it and demand goes up, you kind of scratch your head again. You kind of go, well, you know what? There might be a little business here. So, yeah. okay, so I'll sink some money into it, buy some real equipment and we'll move into a, a real commercial space. But yeah. I'm not going to go move into a, you know, 10,000 square foot building. I'll rent a thousand square foot first and we'll see how it goes and then nice. you know, kind of gradually grow into it. And by the way, a million dollars would be sweet. Sure, yeah. Along course, the yeah, way, yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, a million would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be even better. Yeah. But you were, you were saying it was it's a niche, right? And it is a niche, right? It's 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 absolutely a niche, even within a niche, right? Most people, when they think of mead, the first thing that comes to their mind is it's got to be sweet, right? So it's made of honey. It must be sweet. Yeah. And and and, and a lot of times, people, and especially in the United States, their first experience with mead is always going to have been, you know, either like uh, you know Bunratty mead from Ireland or Chaucer's mead from you know Barghetto over in Santa Cruz or somebody else's, which are all on the sweet side. So, yeah. Yeah. Been to the Ren Fair. I've had mead. It was really sweet. Didn't like it. 
Yeah. So my goal has always been to try and get people to understand that there's, you know, there's as many variations of meat as there are variations of beer or wine. Okay. Um, that's a that's a great angle to take too, and and we're going to talk about that when we, when we start getting into the actual mead that you make and and how we can make it too. We're definitely going to talk about uh, all those different parts. Okay, uh, I guess the 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 last thing I want to know, uh, you know, personally, then is are, are you still making homebrew too? Do you still brew beer? No, you don't at all. Too much mead making, huh? No, I actually at the uh, the meadery, you know. So what I tell people, they ask, well, what the heck is a meadery? I was like, well, a meadery is kind of a hybrid. You know, winery, brewery type of place, right? Yeah. We make primarily, you know, alcohol. If it can be fermented and it has honey in it, we make it. Okay. So we make beers there too, right? Okay. So, you know, we make, we got Belgian style beers. We call it like Black Bart's Belgian Braggot. All right. And so you got Braggots that have mostly honey in them versus some candy sugar. Okay. We've got some other ones. We've got a German style Kolsch. Nice. It's made with honey, right? No kidding. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, a couple other ones, Belgian Golden Strong Ales. Okay. Then you got the sizers, which are apple and honey, and then you got the meads. Sure. Okay. Rabbitsfootmeadery.com. You can go there, and people can order from you online. I oh, noticed, sure. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And our our site hasn't been hacked yet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, I, I, unfortunately, you're now linked to my site, right. so uh, it could be on its way. Be careful. <laughs> That's okay. I have friends in low places. That's cool. Or I can sick my friends on them too. They already know where they Perfect. came from. So some right. heavy hitters. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really a nice website, and it talks a lot about mead too. And you can see the products to order. So go to rabbitsfootmeadery.com. Uh, it's right on our homepage too. Put your logo up there. I, you can click right on the logo on our homepage. Uh, it was also in our newsletter this month, and you can click on it that way if you got the newsletter. You can uh, go find all about their products. Okay, well, let's dive right into it, and I see that you've got some in front of you here. I, I want to first start with um, the different varieties that, that we can call you know, sorts of meat. Sure. And I guess the, the parent category would actually be honey wine. Sure, absolutely right. Okay. So, so honey wine in, in its simplest form is just honey, water, yeast. Okay. Nothing, nothing else, okay. right? And then depending on the, the, the quantity of honey and how much water you put into it will determine, you know, how strong it is. Whether it's, you know, the, the government classifies wines, you know, in different tax categories for their purposes, right? Okay. So anything from 7 to 14% is just regular wine. 14% and higher is either a dessert wine and then you can go even higher than that. Oh. And then anything below 7% is, you know, you, legally you're not allowed to make mead that's below 7% alcohol. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I never thought there would be laws that, that have the alcohol minimums. Right. Well, the, the, the reason is, is because mead isn't classified as, as regular wine by the government. It's classified as what they call other than standard wine. Interesting. So standard wine has got grapes in it. Yeah. Right. So I like how everything <laughs> outside the normal. Why not just say it? Why not say freaks and wine? Like that's what they're uh, that's exactly, what they're right? saying. Yeah, like you, home brewers are freaks. Yeah, because yeah, that lumps it in with like rhubarb wine, yeah. elderberry, yeah. wine, wine yeah. like stuff that I'm like, nah, I'm not touching that. Exactly. No, that's agricultural wine. That's different. <laughs> that's a whole oh, other right. category. Yeah, so, so that's made out of some fruit or vegetable, right? So, so that's super freaks. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, meat <laughs> is probably the super freaky side of the whole thing, anyway, just because of what it is, right? Uh, yeah. Sure. So the government basically says in, in their rules and regulations that you're not allowed to dilute honey below a certain level, which gives you that, you know, probably around 8% alcohol level. Okay. Right. But now there was a petition that was done in the past two years, um, primarily led by a Redstone Meadery out in Colorado. Okay. To basically change that, right? So now they've, they've approved the change. Now it's a matter of getting it into the laws. I see. Right. So they'll, they'll change all that. Then you'll be able to go below that, but you won't be able to go down below 7 because gotcha. that's just where wine starts. Okay. And then if you go to 7%, you know, anything 7% and above is regulated by the TTB, 
the Tax and Tobacco Trade Bureau people. Okay. Formerly the uh, BATF, right? All right. And then anything below 7% is regulated by the FDA for oh. wa- for wine. But for, for like malt beverages, it's still regulated by TTB. I think I'd rather be regulated by TTB than FDA. FDA is a scary organization. Yeah. So. A little bit, yeah. They don't carry guns. Yeah, but the TTB is, uh, like kind of newly formed. Oh. And so So I've heard a lot of people falling into loopholes with them where, you know, like, uh, wine on premise places, they have no idea what to do with these people. So they're just shutting them down temporarily. Yeah. 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 And they're they're not afraid to do it, right? Because they used to be the gun people as well. Yeah. Yeah, That's right. That's, see, that's what's frightening. (laughs) Uh, were you at the GABF? No, not this year. You didn't. Uh, next d- year we will. None of your mead was there either. No, no. Somebody's mistaken. Then they wanted me to tell you that they loved your raspberry mead that was at the GABF, uh, but it must not have been. That was probably Redstone. I yeah, think it was Redstone. Redstone. Yeah, I think, Redstone goes every year. Yeah, I think that was the only one that I saw there. That was a good one. Okay, so uh, then anything with, with made with honey, and then within those alcohol uh, classifications, is is a, is a form of honey wine. Right. But what are the? There's names. There's there's Cicer and there's mead. And talk to us about so, those. So there's there's different things, right? You could have a varietal mead, which would be made from a single variety of honey, right? So bees, they're 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 you know what the people say worker bees, right? But they're actually kind of lazy, right? They're not going to go flying around halfway across the world to go get nectar. Okay. They'll fly in a certain area around their beehive and then they'll collect the nectar from the flowers that are there. So if the flower source is predominantly one type, they'll basically have a, a honey that is characteristic of that particular floral source. Okay. Makes sense. So uh, our, our meads, most of our straight meads are, are usually from a single variety of honey. Okay. And then there are other versions of mead that you can have that have either blends of different honeys, which would be called like traditional meads. Okay. And then you have meads that have additional ingredients added to them. Herbs and spices, it would, might be called a methaglin, right, which is a Welsh word. Okay. And then um, you, you have fruit added to a mead. It's a melamel, right? If okay. you have apples specifically, it would be called a sizer. Okay. Right. And then if you have grapes added to it, it would be either a, a piment or a piment, right? And then there could be red versions and white versions of that. Okay. And then you've got a whole, you know, the gamut of, of what you can have. And then if you add, uh, um, you know, malt, if you ferment it with malt, then it becomes a bracket or a bracket. I see. Right. So actual, the same way we would do beer, if it's malted barley type of, of malt. Then? Exactly. Okay. Exa- exactly the same. And then you could, you could make a braggot in, in, in almost, well, in identical ways that you would make a beer, right? You can either do a full mash, a partial mash, you can do all extract. Okay. But it has to have honey too. You would have malt and honey. Yes, absolutely. So, so okay. typically, you know, you'll have, you know, a, a large percentage of the honey and there's really no legal restriction on how much honey there has to be in order to be, you know, called a braggot. At okay. Least, at least not yet. But, you know, most people would say, you know, 50% of, okay. of the sugar comes from honey. Now, so what about these guys then that do, you know, regular craft brewers and home brewers do it too. When we make a honey beer yeah. and we put honey in our beer, is it not a braggot because it's not 50% of the fermentable? Um, I, I'd say it's a braggot. You would, and so yeah. any beer that has honey in it sure. could be, is, is a, is a braggot. I would say so. Okay. All right. right. It depends on whether it was fermented with it or if it was added afterwards. Ah, okay. Oh, there's a good right. point then. Yeah. Sure, so some people do it for yeah. flavor. Sure, of course. And yeah. then there, you know, there's other people that make mead or what they call mead in, in the world where they actually take a grape juice, ferment it, and then just blend it with herbs and honey at the end. Yeah. And they still try to get away with calling it a mead. Okay. Chris Graham, tell me I'm not the only one who didn't know that there's a name for the grape one and a name for the apple one and a name for – you didn't know all that, right? You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that braggart fits you perfectly as a word. <laughs> Braggart. <laughs> you didn't know that. 
That all the, I didn't know the names. I didn't know all the different names. Oh, there's more. You names. didn't know all those. names. Oh yeah, I did. No, yeah. you didn't. Recite them right now. Uh, Methiclin is uh, spices. Piment. All right, is never mind. Now you're just gonna make me look stupid. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, didn't you ever read the Joy of Homebrew? Uh, yeah, I did, but I just didn't memorize it. You wow. skipped so, that yeah. part because it's at the end. Yeah, I actually. I'll be honest. Uh, so I'm also reading uh, Charlie Papazian's Microbrewed Adventures, and there's a whole meat section there. I skipped right past it. I don't drink a lot of meat, so I was like, ah, I can come back to it later. <laughs> I went right on to the next chapter. Thanks it for probably had all this information in there. Thanks for trying to bring us down, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking, come on, no one else knows that except for Mike. I'm thinking right now that Mike is the only mead guy on the planet that knew all those terms. Well, he probably but, uh, knows them way better than we know yeah, them. Yeah, sure. Well, there's, there's, there's actually a lots of uh, historical documentation that you can read if you do any research on sort of historical beverages. They'll tell you exactly what they're called. Sure. Right. So 15th, 16th century type stuff. Gets into it's all It's been that. around a while, Justin. Oh, that I know. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm half a retard. I'm not completely retarded. I did do enough research to know it's been around for a while. And actually will be a part of our discussion when we get Vicki Rowe from GotMead.com because she's fantastic with a lot of the history of mead. And uh, I want to talk to her about the different events that actually bring that history back to life now that she goes and, and does quite a bit with the mead events. So uh, she'll be coming on about 630, and that's uh, GotMead.com as well as Julia Hurst from uh, Honeywine.com. Okay, so what is the one that you've poured here? And uh, let's try some of this that you got because you brought us a few different samples, right? Right. So what, what I brought today with me was a sweet mead. Well, you know, it's a wildflower honey mead. I brought an apple sizer, and then I brought a couple of other hard ciders. Or you know, I call hard ciders because people don't understand what sizer is, so I call okay. it hard cider. But it's the same thing? It's similar. It's a, it's a different – it's it's – it's very much the same thing. It's just a little tweak on the recipe. Okay. All right. So. What's the tweak? Well. There's yeah. honey in there. The, well, there's. Just the honey. There's honey and apple juice in all of them, right? Yeah. So right. that's there's the why I call them sizers, but some of them have other fruit juices added to them at the end of fermentation. Okay. So, but basically honey is the ingredient that makes it a sizer instead of a cider. Honey added to and apple juice fruit. makes a sizer. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, melamel would be honey and another fruit. So maybe you've got like a raspberry mead. Gotcha. That would really be a melomel. Okay. Or a blackberry or a, you know, a, a peach, what have you. See, the thing is that there are just too many different names to market it that way, right? So commercially, y- you just say it's all mead, or you go, right. we've got a raspberry mead. Yeah. So most, or, most people will say, you know, it's, it's honey wine. Yeah. Right. And then other people will say, well, it's mead. Right. right. So my meads are all bottled as a mead. So sure. sweet mead, dry mead, pear mead, and then I've got my apple sizer. Those are all in the sort of the still wine category of product. And then we have the Red Branch Cider Company that we own, which does apple sizer, but carbonated in small bottles, pint-sized bottles. Oh, okay. Right. It's also in tap. In did you bring some of that? I did, yeah. Because that's all sounding tasty right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's all pretty good. And on top of that, I'm thinking that Chris and Doc, you guys are the geeky retards here because <laughs> I represent the sort of, you know, the, the masses that don't know all this stuff and it's like, you just call it meat. It's raspberry you're, meat. It's, you're still trying to turn this one around. I have to. It's my job <laughs> over here in, in this seat. It's just information, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Alright, so let's try some of this then. Uh, Mike is, is pouring some for us and, and as we do it, we'll, we'll start moving into, uh, uh, how these things are brewed uh, specifically. So this one here is oh that smells uh, smells great already. So that's the apple sizer, right? So this is a still version of our uh, apple honey wine. Okay. Now we had a, a cider company in here too. Uh, we had Two Rivers Cider come in, and uh, it was the first cider that uh, I ever had that I liked, and it because it was real dry uh, instead of instead of being real sweet. Um, Quite powerful too. Yeah, and it got us uh, it got us there. 
as Doc would say. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this already, the, I could, I could tell from the aroma that it's, it's very similar right. to, uh, it doesn't smell a lot like honey, I guess is what I'm saying. You, you know, that, that was actually a comment that people made at the International Mead Festival last year as well. They said, well, how can you call it a sizer? I can't smell the honey. I'm like, well, who says how much honey you have to be able to taste or smell? Yeah. Nobody. Now, on top, as I'm saying that I can't smell it, I can't taste it, though. Yes. You do taste you, it in right. there. The first thing you'll smell is the apple aroma. Yeah. Right? So it's like a traditional, you know, hard cider. Yeah. Right? It just it has that honey background in it, and it, I think the honey gives it a better mouthfeel, right? It doesn't just have that kind of sharp, bitter, dry, right. apple only quality. Sure. No, that's that's actually... It rounds it out quite nicely. It's, it's not, like you said, that sharp cider. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, it's, and it's actually, it's, it's really a lot about what type of honey you use. I mean, you could overpower this by using, like, a buckwheat honey. Okay. Right? Then you just have nothing but buckwheat flavor with this kind of weird apple background on it. What are the characteristics of, of say, buckwheat honey or any honey that makes it a stronger honey r- rather than a, a more mild one? It's the floral source, right? It's like where do, you, where, do the, where do the bees go to get the nectar? Okay. Buckwheat is notoriously strong. It's dark. It's brown. It's heavy. It's almost molasses-like, whereas uh, an alfalfa honey will be just a white, frosty color and virtually, you know, only a little hint of spicy flavor to it but lots of sugar. Okay. So what are, what's a local... Uh, you know, s- sort of in our region here in Northern California. California wildflower. Oh, okay. Uh, sage, star thistle. Uh, you can get all types of different honeys in California. Okay. And, and do then, you like, are they quality? Do you like to use California honeys or, or would you rather go somewhere else? We, we've gone as far as Scotland for honey. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and that's an expensive honey. Is it? Basically, yeah. You're getting a, a, a heather honey from Scotland. It's, wow. it's still sitting in a warehouse in Kentucky with the uh, biohazard people. Okay. <laughs> it's been there for a year and a half. Gotcha. Now, just because it's sort of my role, uh, can can I go to the store and buy that jar with the, that's shaped like a bear, and it's just like the regular honey, and and can I make mead with that? Sure, but it's not going to be good, is it? You can make mead that will be good enough to drink. Really, with sure. just your regular store oh, bought sure. absolutely honey. the big cans at the local grocery store. And and there's a difference then between the sort of natural honey that's all thick and gunky and the stuff that's in that little bear jar because it squeezes right out. Right. What I mean, do I want to sh- uh, go to one or the other? Well, the typical difference is going to be the one in the little jar that looks nice is all filtered and pasteurized and heated and you know. Yeah. The other one is. Basically, just straight. It's real honey. It's real. It's, it's real bee comb. puke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually kind of a misnomer too. I mean, bee puke really isn't quite the word for it. But what would be the proper? Bees have two stomachs. Oh, is that right? They have one that's specially designed just for the nectar. They do regurgitate it, but it's not from the rest of their digestive system. Ah, all right. See, see, Doc, look how much I'm learning here. Don't you wish you had two stomachs? (laughs) One for one for drinking, yeah, two livers, (laughs) one for life, exactly. A backup, right? Like your website. (laughs) His liver was hacked. I think you got a big fan over here. Yeah, I did. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering about the carbonation level of this apple sizer. It's very zero, right? And why is is that? Because it's a wine. We classify. So the well, actually, the real reason is because the government would charge me a dollar more in taxes per gallon. But Mm -hmm. really, yeah. Well, anything that's sparkling, yeah, is is higher tax bracket. Interesting. Right. So this one is still. We have another version of this which is carbonated Mm -hmm. under the other label. That's, okay. that's fantastic. But drinking this, I would guess that you have a lot of female customers too. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like flipped with his business, probably. That's why you got in the business, right? I'm, I'm, I'm married. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a tool. Uh, and Justin's <laughs> going, and so, uh, yeah, and your point is? <laughs> well, my, my wife's probably listening, so I had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. It seemed like quite the pat answer, too. I'm actually thinking that it's the, it could be the reason you're still married is because you make uh, great, uh, great meat. Stuff's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. If you made this, if you made this meat, I would probably stay around too. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to listen to the segment we've got coming up, uh, which is about how we're going to brew this stuff at home, and I'm hoping that Mike can help us do that. Uh, what I'd like to do is taste some more of your mead when we come back, and then also uh, pick some specific styles. Let's start with a, just a basic uh, honey wine, sure, and uh, let the folks at home know how to do it. And I think we'll go from simple by the look of the questions I've got in front of me from our listeners. We're going to go from simple to uh, much more complicated in in how we do it. So, uh, folks, you're going to want to uh, stay tuned for that. Um, it's really uh, kind of, I think, going to end up being a lot more to this meat deal than, than some of you folks think. Because I know that Mike likes to say, oh, it's just uh, it's, it's honey wine. But uh, there's kind of a lot going on there and, and the different styles. You and your cooler there, you got, what, four different uh, styles? There's three more in the cooler. Yeah. Three more going on. So a uh, lot of different stuff. And when we come back, we're going to talk uh, all about it. You're tuned in to our first official mead show. We've got Mike Fowl from Rabbit's, Rabbit's Foot Brewery, Meadery. I told you I'm going to do that a lot. You can go to rabbitsfootmeadery.com or just click right there on our main page and you'll find it. We'll be right back. It's the Brewing Network. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. I like Oh, uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip too? Don't let me show you my dip. I like it though. Maybe you can come on and see us. Maybe you can come on and see us. I like it though. Alcohol is a time continuous thing. It just like squishes it down. I like it though. Back on again? Okay. Alcohol is a time continuing thing. It just like squishes it down. I'm uh, did you cut did you cut the dip too? I'm uh, did you cut did you cut the dip too? I like it What are we doing? And let everybody know what we're doing. Yeah. As soon as we know what we're doing. I like you so. Keep that on on again? Okay, good. Keep that on on again? Okay, good. I like you so. Maybe you can come on and see us. I like you so. I like you so. Don't let me show you my dip, too. Don't let me show you my dip, too. Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did you cut, did you cut the dip, too? Uh, did I was hoping you might let me have some. Touch the belt. I was hoping you might let me have some. Touch the belt. Bring it in there. Touch the belt. Bring it in there. Touch the belt. Bring it in there. Touch the belt. 
Welcome back to the Mead Show. You're tuned to the Brewing Network. And Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Meadery is with us. You can go to rabbitsfootmeadery.com or just click on the Rabbit's Foot logo right on the Brewing Network homepage and find out all about their products. Also, we've got Vicki Rowe from gotmead.com. And Julia Herds is going to join us from honeywine.com in about a half an hour. We're going to be giving them a call and put those folks on the air, too, and, and, and get to talking about all this stuff. So uh, with Mike now, uh, we're going to try, I think, another one of, uh, of the meads. I'm still – let me finish this uh, – Sure, we'll try the sweet mead next. Okay, and I had a question come through already about sweet mead. We'll come back to this, but I guess we can get it out of the way now since it was just a specific question about brewing it. Does it take more or less honey to make a mead sweeter, or does it have nothing to do with how much honey? It takes less water. It's less water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, The if depending on where you want it to be will determine, you know, kind of the amount of honey you start with. The amount of water you start with and where you stop the fermentation. Okay. If you stop it, right? Okay. How do you stop it? Well, there's a couple of different ways to do it, and one of them is to stick it outside in the snow, let it get really cold and kill the yeast, and then filter it. The other way to do it is to do that mechanically, right, where you're actually going to just take the, you know, the tank and actually chill it down so it's cold enough to prevent the yeast from, you know, fermenting anymore and then filtering it. Right, which is which is what we do with all of ours. We don't do any kind of uh, chemical additions to it, you know, post fermentation, right? So no no sulfites, no sorbates, nothing like that. Okay. We do uh, basically it's a three pass filtration on every product. 
So okay. It's probably more expensive to do it that way, but I think it yields a better product. So other meteries will use chemicals to get Yeah, it lots of them. And there's a few okay. out there that don't. I mean, like Redstone is another example of one that doesn't. Okay. Right? They don't add any any uh, sulfites to theirs. Gotcha. Uh, and several others. But there are several that do, of course, right? Because it's the easiest, cheapest way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this one is the sweet meat you've got. Right, here. so this is a sweet meat, and, and our sweet isn't the same as other people's sweets, right? Ours is only 3% residual sugar because we don't want to, you know, we're not looking for something that's, you know, super syrupy sweet. Yeah. We have another sweet meat, a, pro- a product we call Malia, which is actually really sweet. Okay. That's 8% residual sugar. That's right. a s- completely separate category of product for us. Okay. Well, this one already with the, su- with the sweet meat, I can, you can smell the honey, so that it's in the aroma. Right. And now as you're talking about it not being super syrupy, it still is a little syrupy, isn't it? And, and, and that might just be the – and I don't mean that it's real thick, but maybe that's just the texture of a, of a honey beverage that makes it more syrupy than, say, a, a wine. Any, anytime you get above 3% residual sugar, you're always going to have that kind of uh, you know thick mouthfeel. A mouthfeel, yeah. Right. Okay. And but I guess syrupy is not, not the word for a, for a thick mouthfeel. And this is uh, – you know, it's not combined with – uh, apple juice. No, this and is. It's, yeah. Is this a different kind of honey? This is a wildflower honey from Oregon. Okay, All right. We get the we get our wildflower honey from the same uh, guy every year, and every year the honey is different. Oh, really? Oh, that's it's cool. Just like grapes, right? Because if, if if there's really good weather and the bees are out and they're you know they're happy, they're happy. They'll the honey quality will be different because the flowers are different, the floral sources are different. Okay. Some years you'll have, like this particular field, you'll have lots of jasmine in the field okay. or around the field, so you'll get that really good jasmine quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of other times you won't have that quality in this particular honey. Okay. It's got a little uh, alcohol bite at, it, at the end, too. This is 12%. Okay. Right? So there's a yeah. little bit there, but uh, there's nothing else in it, right? It's just water, honey, yeast. And yeast. Okay. Cool. Okay. So <laughs> I think then this would be a perfect example to start with a basic, uh, how we make mead. Sure. Uh, discussion. Um, and so I, I want to start with, um, since honey being sort of the prime ingredient in a mead, yep. um, how does a home brewer, uh, choose where they're going to get their honey? Taste them. Just taste go, them. Go, actually, the best way to do it is go find a local beekeeper or a local, uh, honey, you know, producer. Like, you know, you'll find them all over the place. They've got little farms here and there. And a lot of them will have shops that you can go into and they'll, you can sample all of their honeys. Yeah. If you find a honey that tastes really good, chances are that it will make a good mead. Okay. Cool. Right. I like, uh, I'm, I'm definitely picking up on what you're talking about where you can get the floral aspects of the flower, like the jasmine. Right. In this one, mm-hmm. you can really get that yep. out of out of this. So, can you get those flavors right from the honey? Then too, you can kind of taste that as you're going. Right. The difference between you know what you're what you have for flavors. I mean, if you talk about like here's a here's a beehive, <coughs> excuse me, and it's in the middle of a you know a blackberry field. The honey will be different than blackberry, right? It's not going to be it's not going to have a blackberry flavor. It'll have a blackberry floral quality to it. Okay. Right. And then the honey, blackberry honeys and raspberry honeys are typically higher in, you know, acid content. So they'll yield a different end product. Okay. Right. And then orange blossom honeys will be very citrusy in character, right? Like if you ever had muscats, it'd be kind of like, you know, like, you know, like that. Yeah. Okay. Right? But it, it really is about the floral source. And then if you know where the honey is coming from and you know that that particular farmer says it's, you know, it's you know, predominantly that particular floral source, you can be pretty sure that that's what you're going to get. Okay. Buying commercial honey, there's no guarantee because you know most honey manufacturers in in the large scale will blend their honeys. I see. Just to get a bunch of it out. Just there, to right? get the price down. Yeah. Right? Okay. Which uh, is you know bad because the price is continually skyrocketing. 
of the good stuff you're talking about? All honey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Except for the honey from China. That's cheap stuff? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's, it's actually, most of it's banned from being sold in the United States because it has chemical additions to it that aren't allowed in, they, they dust the bees with chemicals and those chemicals aren't allowed in the United States. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. What's the point of that, of the dusting? To keep the, uh, the varroa mites out of their beehives. Okay. Which would eat up some of that honey or? No, it, no, it hurts the bees. Kills the bees. Just kills the bees. Yeah. Gotcha. Disgusting. That is disgusting. Chris Graham, so for homebrewers, if they don't have a local beekeeper, um, Where can they at, at homebrew? <laughs> well, what I'm cu- I mean, I know you guys have stuff for making meat, but I'm curious if you, you know, are there varieties of honey that you guys distribute them to? Yeah, we always have. We have a, a honey we just call B3 honey, and it's a, a blend generally of uh, just Central California. There's a couple of areas down there that we work with. Okay, and uh, so that's just kind of especially for a lot of the brewing where it's a very low percent of the malt that you're going to use. Yeah, um, it's a great. Great honey to use. Then we carry an orange blossom, raspberry blossom. Um, once in a while, we had some carrot. We had some watermelon. Oh, really? So it's just fun to play with. Yeah. Um, like, you know, like you were saying, it it's, doesn't make it taste like a carrot. It yeah. makes it more smell like a carrot blossom. Okay. Yeah. So it's not the actual vegetable. It's the sort of bl- the rest of the vegetation right. yeah. around it that it's going to. Right. It's like it walk up to a rose and smell the rose, right? Yeah. You smell the flower. If yeah. you take a rose hip off the rose bush and eat it, it's just sugary sweet. So yeah. Okay. It has, doesn't have the f- smell of a rose. Makes sense. Okay. So you can then just at a homebrew shop, you can get a variety of. You should be able to. Yeah. Use. Most homebrew shops should always have honey there. Okay. Yeah. When, when I was starting making meat, it was always the homebrew shop that I went to to get the honey. And, okay. You know, it's, they have pretty much anything you want. Okay. If, if they don't, you can always ask for it. Yeah. All right, what's the next step? Once we've chosen then what we're looking for in a honey, what are we doing next? Well, so you want to determine kind of what uh, style of meat it is that you're going to make, right? Are you going to make a dry meat? Are you going to make a sweet meat? Are you going to make something in between? And then, you know, you have to determine, I mean, if you know what the characteristics of the particular yeast you're going to use are, mm-hmm. then you pick a yeast, right? Okay. So the probably the two most important things are obviously the, the honey, then the yeast, okay, and then not so much the water, right? Because the water doesn't really matter. Because in mead making, you know, you're going to probably put some kind of nutrient in there anyway to get it going. Because honey is typically deficient in nutrients. Okay. Yes, yeah, someone had uh, sent me through a question uh, about water, just saying, is there anything special we should know about the water that we're? Yeah, in? if you can get if you can get filtered water, that's probably fine. If you can get water that doesn't have uh, chlorine in it, that's probably better. So just like brewing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. How about Say RO water, maybe. No, RO water probably isn't as, as good just because it doesn't have anything in it. It doesn't have anything in it. Right. And you, you, you mean, you, honey is deficient in all okay. the, all the chemicals or all the nutrients that yeast need to, it is. to, to okay. grow. Okay. So some of those trace minerals are already in the water. I mean, if you know what your water is from, from brewing, right? How much calcium right. is in there, you know, different things, then that's great to know. Okay. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be concerned too much. Just go to your local water place that buy, that you can buy, you know, a couple of gallons of filtered water from just buy that. And use that. Yeah. When Regular. you're at the ice store. It's some, yeah, exactly. yeah, you it's usually, water. except that uh, at the ice store, they don't care too much about the quality of the water. They'll <laughs> they just should. throw, they'll just throw anything in there. Yeah, but they just figure, ah, it's still frozen when we get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care. The, the biggest thing now lately in a lot of cities across the country is the chloramine. Yep. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that's, you know, if you, if you can get water that has, if you have, if your local water has chloramine in it, you probably don't want to use it. Because that you can't get rid of. And that's, again, brewing in general. Uh, right. You don't want to get rid of that. Uh, well, while we're on the nutrient part then, too, because I had another question come through, um, 
is it then necessary to add yeast nutrients to yeah. meat? So well, I, I think so, right? Because if you do, if you don't add anything to it, yeah. you'll have either you know a sluggish fermentation or you won't have any fermentation at all. Yeah. And then as you progress through the fermentation, as the alcohol level kicks up, the yeast are going to die if, yeah. they're, if they're not strong, right? So you want to get them the sort of the best the best chance they have as quickly as possible. Right. Right. Now, are you going with like a straight DAP style nutrient or are you using GoFirm, FermAid K? You, you can use GoFirm, FermAid K. It really depends on sort of what your own experience is in making it. I mean, I would take any nutrient addition that you're going to use and rather than adding it all up front, go to a basically a staged, you know, a staged addition of both, you know, like either FermAid K or GoFirm add uh, you know, diammonium phosphate. I mean, I don't know too many home brewers that can go out and check the, the nitrogen levels in their in their <laughs> brew, but you know, just under is better than over when you're adding nutrients, in, okay. in my opinion. Okay. Right. So you know, that's good to know. What I recommend to people, and I got a lot of people that come to me asking me all kinds of questions from all over the world, like how do I make this? How do I do that? And you know, I'm totally willing to answer pretty much anybody's questions. I won't give you the exact formulas for what I make, but I'll give you pretty close approximations for them. Cool. So take any nutrients that you have. Cut that nutrient in half and put half in first. Okay. Let it start fermenting. Once it's dropped about 30% in sugars, add another 25%. Okay. Right? And then stage it that way through the whole fermentation. That way, if it finishes quicker, don't add any more nutrient, right? Because then you, you're not going to overdo it and you're not going to have any chemical taste to it at the end. That yeah. has to age out. That's right. fantastic advice. Yeah. Does that work for beer too? Could you do the same? Would you we kind don't of see it typically happening? Typically, need to add the right. nutrients that you do in, in okay. wine making, so you wouldn't have to do that. But you can do it if you're doing a high alcohol beer with a lot of sugar in it. You can you can stage the sugar additions. Oh, okay. Rather than blast them all at once, you can like big heavy golden Belgian uh, stage it out. Yeah. I, I, well, so we make brackets as well, and I don't add any nutrients to those brackets. I'm not right? talking about nutrients. I'm just talking about the sugar addition. Sure, okay. Yeah, right. sure. In, in the same way, you're right. going to add them, uh, st- stage them that way. Um, but as uh, but Chris nutrients. was saying, most of the malt has has all the yep. nutrients we're going to need. That's right. It's got all okay. the love. So that's the big difference here, then, is that we, in beer, find our nutrients in not only the water but in our malt. Mm-hmm. And because there's no malt in the honey wine... And honey doesn't have any nutrients. Right. Gotta, it's it's deficient. It. it has some, but not enough to typically okay. do anything, you know, really well or fast. Okay. In in the homebrew world, you have more time, right? You could say, okay, I'm going to make a batch of mead and it's going to ferment and it's going to take two months to ferment. And then I'm going to let it clear for a month. And then I'm going to let it, you know. So six months later, you might be able to bottle it. Or maybe a year later, you're drinking it. Yeah. Everything I make is seven to ten days old before I, you know, do something with it. Okay. Right, so whether it's done fermenting seven to ten days, then it gets either bulk aged in stainless, bulk aged in oak, or it gets bottled immediately. So it is possible to uh, work a mead fast. Oh, sure. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to do a mead because they don't want to tie up a carboy for six months. Right, exactly. Right, I I, I don't want to tie up any of my tanks for six months. Right, but you, you can. There's ways of getting it to move. Oh faster. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about: staged nutrient additions. We'll get it to And go. then temperature control. Okay. Absolutely, fine grain temperature control is probably the the second most. You know. Okay. Well, and let's back up me, a second. For me, what's a good temperature? Seventy degrees. Just seventy. 60, Sixty-five to seventy. Good. Yeah. Okay. And it, again, it, this depends on the yeast you're using as well, right? So if you know the characteristics of the particular yeast, that's going to kind of predetermine what temperature you're going to ferment at. I mean, I would always suggest that you ferment on the low side of the temperature range for that particular yeast. You know, less production of the volatiles and, you know, right. I think, better better character and aroma from the particular honey. Yeah. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to ferment hot, right, where, you know, the, the higher fermentation temperatures are actually going to basically dissolve, we'll say, 
the, the characteristics of that particular honey, especially when you're working with a single varietal of honey. Yeah. So is mead then, in fermentation, are you looking for no yeast flavors, or are there meads that you really want to bring out the yeast flavors like certain beers? In, in, in well, rabbit's foot meadery meads, we're not looking for the yeast to provide much of anything to the thing other than just you know, alcohol, right? Sure, okay. <laughs> we want, it, we want yeah. it to ferment it. We want it to ferment very clean, and okay. I want to bring out the character of that floral source as much as possible. Gotcha. And that seems to make sense if you're working so hard to showcase the honey. Exactly. You leave it right. alone. Yeah, with the, with the uh, and, and that's also true with the braggots, and then the sizers, I want them to be very neutral because what we're looking for there is just the character of the juice that we're going to add at the end of the fermentation process. Yeah, okay. So whether it's black cherry or apple or peach or you know, yeah. lemon. Okay. Okay, let's back up for a sec because we've gone well through fermentation and not even gotten. So now we've got our uh, – we, we, we've picked our water. Yep. We've picked our honey. Uh, you said to go ahead and pick your yeast. And, and b- when you're picking your yeast, you're trying to figure out if you want it to be dry or sweet right. uh, as well as so, – So different yeasts – Will ferment to different levels, yeah. right, of alcohol, as you all know, right. So you could you could you could actually use an ale yeast if you wanted a low alcohol mead. You could okay. use a champagne yeast if you wanted to go really high, and you might even use a more aggressive yeast, like a distiller's yeast, if you wanted to go even higher. Okay, right. But so then you you pick a yeast, you've got your honey. Now you have to say, okay, what what am I making? Right, am I making a sweet mead or am I making a dry mead? Yeah. The difference really between a sweet meat and a dry meat is also going to be dependent on the honey that you're, or the, the, the yeast you're going to use as well, right? Because if you want to make a dry mead, you want something that's going to be aggressive that can ferment fast and that will ferment all the sugar out. If you want a sweet mead, you want something that's less aggressive, yeah. something that's going to leave a little bit more sweetness in there without you having to do too much work. Okay. In, in the commercial world, we have tools available to us to allow us to get to a particular sugar level and then stay there, yeah. right? Crash the tank down to a certain temperature. And then filter, right? You filter either, you know, either just do a bulk filtration, then hope that there's no yeast left in there and add chemicals to it maybe. Or you do a bulk filtration to get the majority of the lees out of the tank. And then you do a a two-pass filtration through, you know, half a micron and then 0.45 micron. Okay. Then then you're done, right? Just to get it all out. Yeah, Yeah, well, you stop the fermentation exactly where you want the sweetness to be. Gotcha. The other way to do it is you ferment your product. You ferment it out till the yeast are done. You let it clear, you filter it maybe, and then you add honey to it, back sweeten it. Ah, okay. Right, so now you can add more honey to it, and what you'll do there is basically you've got now a dry mead, you add some more honey to it that has that, that, that'll give you the better floral character. Yeah. But it'll also give you sweetness. But if you missed any yeast, it'll just start fermenting again. Ah, okay. All right, now I see what you're saying. So you really got to make sure you get that out or you can't back it. You're going to need the capability to basically... uh, Filter it. Yeah, a small plate and frame filter would work. You know, I mean, people use those. You can rent them at a lot of homebrew shops as well. Could uh, okay. the yeast uh, choice also be used to de- determine uh, what kind of uh, residual sweetness you're going to have left in there? Like, say we're starting at a high, pretty good uh, sugar content, and the difference between a champagne yeast and, say, an ale yeast, if we used them side by side, we're going to poop out. Yeah, well, the, and then it all really comes back to your 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 nutrient addition as well, right? If you've got a an ale yeast, an ale yeast can ferment up pretty high as well. If you if you kind of yeah. tra- tra- I won't say train it, but if you if you're nice to it and teach it what to do, it'll it'll go up as high as twelve percent. It won't do it as easily as a champagne yeast will, right? The champagne yeast will just do it on its own, and you won't even have to ask it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you if you do take an ale yeast, you're gonna that'll happen. You can have a sweeter mead. But then you have to worry about, well, are there going to be characteristics in the mead that give it sort of a, an ale-like quality, right? The yeast actually have, 
you know, residual, uh, you know, flavors that are added right, right. While, during fermentation. Okay. Hey, it makes sense to me, Doc, which means it's got to make sense to a lot of people out there <laughs> Good. to, uh, to do it that way. Uh, we've got Vicki Rowe from GotMead.com. She's going to be on with us real soon. And Julia Hertz from HoneyWine.com. So just uh, hang in there just a couple of more minutes, and we're going to get both of those folks on there to talk to us about uh, different resources on the net. Uh, before we do that, I do want to back up uh, just again. So now we've got our ingredients, and uh, what are we doing here? So uh, we've got our three ingredients. we got the water. we got the honey. Uh, we've chosen our yeast. Uh, do we boil the, the water and honey just like we do our beer? Okay, so what you'll find in the, the mead world, is there are two schools of thought. Okay. One says boil, the other one says don't. Ah, okay. Right? I always like that. We <laughs> fight with each other. And, and there are usually huge flame wars online. Is that right? Yeah. That's fun. So the, 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 the school of no boiling basically says bring up your water to temperature about 160 degrees, yeah. add your honey to it, try and keep it at that temperature for a few minutes basically to pasteurize right okay so you're going to pasteurize and then you're going to try and cool it down either through a wart chiller or what have you you know big ice bucket yeah and then you know inoculate or pitch your yeast okay right so depending on whether you come from the brewing world or the wine world will determine you know what your terminology is right yeah sure um in the case of the boil people the boil people will sit there they'll boil it and then you'll have you know, what will end up happening is all of the proteins that are in the honey and all of the solids will all come up to the surface in a big foam, mm-hmm. and you have to skim that off. You have to. You know, you don't have to, but that's the that's one of the reasons to boil. Okay. Right, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to both you know sterilize the product and you're also trying to get all of that stuff out. So the, the the reason that there is a difference here is one school of thought says, well, I want to keep all that stuff in the mead because that's what gives it most of the character. All right. And the other school says, well, I just want to make a mead that's very plain, very straightforward, and I don't want that character in it. I okay. want it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're we're on the uh, the no boil school. You are. Yeah. You don't. Oh, totally. so you just bring it to temp. Uh, I, do I, I don't think my kettle's ever boiled. Do wow. you, okay. Do you actually bring the whole volume up, or just a maybe a concentrated part of it with the honey in there? So the way we do it is we'll take we got a 600 gallon kettle so we'll we'll put in about 250 gallons of water we'll bring that up to temperature then we'll add the honey to it yeah right that basically allows us to dissolve everything and then we'll top it to the level we need with more water bringing it to the the sugar content the sugar level that we're looking for yeah but with cold water or, with or cold warm water. water yeah we'll use cold water yeah because sure, then you've you've already basically gone through the whole sterilization process at that you know point adding the cold water just saves energy in the chiller sure yeah. Right, so by the time we add in the rest of the water, it's already cold enough. I mean, it'll be at 70, 80 degrees. Pump it into the tank. To pitch. Yeah. Well, Do you worry about that top-up water being unsanitary? No, my top-up water is filtered. Okay. Right, so we filter. How, how far do you filter? It's just a carbon carbon filter. I'm not worried about anything else in there. My yeast, the yeast we use is pretty aggressive. It's going to. And then again, remember, meads are going up to 12%, 14%, so there's nothing. The alcohol in there. will kill, no, too, yeah. 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 That's a good point. That's you, a little different. Uh, the, both of these, the homemade means I brought in, both of them are no heat at all. Yeah. Uh, just a leaster on a drill, cold water, sulfites, and I'm lazy. <laughs> sure, yeah, well, yeah. you know. Well, that was kind of my next question is I'm starting to think, like, uh, mead makers get into making mead not just because they like mead. But because it's a little easier, I don't know if it's easier or not. I mean, you, I guess when it comes to quality, maybe not. But you're you're cutting out. You're definitely cutting out some steps here. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, you know, it's it's backbreaking work, right? We went through twenty eight thousand pounds of honey last year. 
Yeah, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of poor bees. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of poor bees. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You slave drivers. Right, but that's a lot of honey. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, true. That's what? That's uh, 600 pounds in a barrel. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so you got to lift those things up either in a forklift or on a hoist. Yeah. And then you got to empty them. Wow. Yeah. Do you I, heat those up? No. Well, yeah. it depends, right? So they'll be warmed, right? We have a little warming band that goes on them in the winter. Oh, okay. In the summer, it's the, it's the, the best time to make meat, I think, is in the winter, but it's harder to get the honey out of the barrels. Yeah. It's right. easier to make it in the summer, but it's hotter out and it's more sweaty work. Yeah, that's a good, like, what a big mess that's gotta be when you guys are trying to get the honey out of those barrels. Yeah. What's really a mess is when you actually spill 30 pounds of honey on the floor oh. under the kettle. And what's your cleanup method? Like, what do you even do about that? You mop and mop and mop and mop and keep mopping. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I had a guest on the show once. I, I don't, I honestly don't remember who it was, but whoever it was had stopped by B3 before coming here to do the show and picked up a bunch of honey to, uh, to make some meat and he didn't put it away properly in his trunk and, oh, God. and it, and it dumped oh, no. all over his trunk, right? The carpet in his car. And all I could think was, the only way you could get rid of that is like with an ant farm. Replace like, it. Yeah, like yeah. what else is going to take honey out of a carpet like that? Bees. Bees yeah. and, and ants or yeah. something, right? Anything that wants to eat all that uh, sugar. Yeah. Anyt- anytime we're working at the meadery, we're, anytime we're doing any type of uh, filtration operations, there's like the little drip that comes out of the filter all the time. It's a yeah. continuous drip. And you'll always find like five or ten bees just hanging around getting drunk. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> So you can't be like afraid of bees and do a, no. do a, be a mead guy or allergic to bees or anything else. Yeah. Like you get stung a bunch of times a week or what? No, no, no. The bees. I mean, you'll, you'll see bees in there all the time, but they're they're harmless. They're too drunk. <laughs> they're they're so happy. Yeah. You're like, man, that's Mike. We like him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna have to take a break here. But uh, we were talking chilling real quick, so let me get this question in. Uh, people want to know if the speed of chilling down your do we call it wort? Is it is it still wort? It, well, so in in the, in the brewing world, it's called wort, right? In, yeah. In the in the wine world, it's called a must. A must. So we got a mort. Yeah, mort. Okay. So <laughs> is it important to chill it down real fast, it, like it is in beer? The only thing that you have to worry about, right, is if depending on the sugar concentration, right? If the sugar concentration is low and you're going for a low alcohol product, then yeah, sure, you might have to worry about you know some type of bacterial infection getting into your product. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, if you just let it sit there and cool down naturally. Right. With beer, it's a more of an issue of DMS yeah. forming. Okay. Because uh, it's still a high temperature and you're forming DMS, but you're not boiling to get it, get rid of it. Yeah. So if you keep beer at a higher temperature, you're still forming the DMS and it's going to come out in your beer. Okay. And usually you're closing the lid too, so. Yeah. Yeah, and keeping so you, it in there. Yeah. So that's why you want to cool it down, down below the point where DMS is being formed and you're not going to get that with the mead. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Just cool it down enough. Just so that way it's, you know, going to be ready to, to pitch your yeast. Okay. That's basically the deal. So depending on which school of thought you go to, boil or no boil, yeah. then you cool it down enough and you transfer it to your uh, ferment and, and yeah. pitch. That's it. Okay. And then uh, just so we can do it briefly, we'll come back to this too. You had said a real ideal temperature is 70 degrees. Probably. Right? And again, like I said, go to the low end of what yeast you're using. Okay. Whatever it says, then that's Just where you want to stick be. around there, yeah. Like okay. Plus or minus five degrees. Okay. Fantastic. That's Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Meadery, and we're going to keep talking to him. Uh, we're also getting a couple other folks on the uh, air with us, too. We've got uh, Vicki Rowe from GotMead.com. She's going to join us. And also Julia Hurts, as soon as I get a hold of her, from HoneyWine.com. We're going to talk to both of them about how to make some great mead and, and where to find good resources on the net. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. 
Yeah, but yeah. again, it just kind of it really weakens the beer, though, in general, putting the lime in. Yeah, and that's why. I mean, normally, you know, you take it, you shoot it back hard, yeah. and it comes into your mouth, mm-hmm. and you swallow, and it's still coating your tongue. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, thank God, not a moment too soon. Oh, oh, mm. there's no one in the room, right? Yeah. All right, that's a really hard line. You wrote it. What's with the Abacast dream? God damn it. Oh, these are really hard. I'm just going to have to do this a bunch of times. Who wrote this shit? You know what? Go ahead and start me over. And just trash that trash that whole take. Hit that fucking whirlpool by grossly. Holy shit. I need some air. Damn, my yeast will not proof in my... Oh, oh my God. I'm so white. And fucking boobs being rude, and my kid pulled the like out to save that a whole lot faster. This whole chat room, I want now. Justin, shit, that's a lot of words. 50G, why don't you push eject me? I'm screaming Gucci when D pushes me off the screen. Ow. I'm screaming Gucci when D pushes me off the screen. Jum, blah, blah. That's the end of that. Then we're off into the pseudo chorus. I just got booted out of the chat room. Uh, I was so in the groove on the last one. That was crap. Holy shit, I just got booted out of the fucking chat room. <laughs> Did you have to laugh? Sweet shit, that likes life and arrow big. Damn, but you still not proof and I'm not out of air. Dog's little boys in my ear screaming. I realize that I'm missing two whole bars of lyrics. Damn, my useful not proof and fucking boobs being rude, my kid. I, that one's impossible. Think I can't think, but then I hear Doc's little voice in my ear. This is where it just goes falls apart. I don't know how this worked in my head. Motherfucker, drink. Drink. Oh, man, that's deep. Yeah, that always kind of irked me. That part's easy. It's how do I fit all that other crap in there? All right, that's probably good enough for now. Oh, that's funny. Is that you? Oh, that's me. Shit. I'm throwing down an angry rap song. Oh, what time is it? Probably within the next 20 minutes. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. Okay, running out of time. Just got through to that, that chat room. That's the gay version. Okay, don't even think about putting that on there. <laughs> this is just pathetic, isn't it? Look at the two jerk-offs. I bet I don't have, like, a good ripping fart right now or something. Wait, uh, I'm actually touching cloth. <laughs> Doc's little voice in my head screaming. Are you gonna let Benny man? Kill JP. <coughs> it really sounds like I'm on the pot, doesn't it? I think it does. Oh, let's listen to Sven take a crap. I'm out. Bring him out. If you like sauerkraut with beer, the Danube Waltz brings a tear. It's almost certain, have no fear. You be German, you be German. Blue eyes with brown lines. Dream of poly girls at night. Intervener schnitzel like to bite. You be German. You be German You've been chosen this October day To be jubilant and to play 
You've been chosen, yes, it's true to be a German and true blue. Like to polka through the night, dance till dawn and delight. After ten beers, like to fight while you're a German. You be German. Everybody gets to be German. Let's all sing. We be German, yavol. Let's sing the songs we love the most. We'll drink to that and make a toast. Let's raise that glass and shout proust. If you're stubborn as a mule, it's time to march to the news. Drink till you fall off bar stools. Yelling wunderbar, we be Germans. We sip Jägermeister packed in ice through the strains of Edelweiss. Oktoberfest comes once a year, so everybody celebrate. We be German. Deutsch and Yaman mix disarray. Yaman, reggae polka is here to stay. Later, hosen braids barmaids. It's all the reason to escape the day. Because we're German. We be German. Everybody sing. We be German. Yabol. Yabol. Let's sing the songs we love the most. We'll drink to that and make a toast. Let's raise that glass and shout proud. We be German. Yabol. Let's sing the songs we love the most. We'll drink to that and make a toast. Let's raise that glass and shout proud. We be German, yavol. Let's sing the songs we love the most. We'll drink to that and make a toast. Let's raise our glass and shout proud. You're listening to three guys. Excuse me, what about me? Yeah, sorry. You're listening to three guys and one girl use a radio show as an excuse to drink more beer. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Welcome back to the Brewing Network. We are here with the Mead Show, the long-awaited and finally happening Mead Show. we got lots of people here to help us out with it, and we're going to talk uh, Mead for the rest of the show, as we have been doing. We've got Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Meadery with us today. You can go to rabbitsfootmeadery.com, and you can also uh, check out our next uh, two guests. I think I've got them, uh, or at least I have one on the line, and the other one's just about to call in. I've got uh, Vicky Rowe from one of the biggest uh, mead sites, if not the biggest uh, in, in, in the world. It's gotmead.com. Vicky, are you with us? Oh, yeah. There you are. How are you doing tonight, Vicky? Oh, I'm pretty good. Sitting here drinking a glass of mead. What else? That a girl. That's what you got to be doing. Uh, yeah, somebody's got to do it. Dirty <laughs> job, but. And uh, are you drinking uh, your own mead? Is it homemade? Actually. 
Actually, no. I'm drinking a wonderful fortified mead from Woodstone Creek Winery and Distillery in Ohio. Oh, okay. Fantastic. You get a bunch of see now. Vicky does kind of the same thing we do, Daniela, where she you know she runs a website for as a resource for for home mead makers and, mm-hmm. and mead lovers in general to go check it out. So I'm wondering, Vicky, if you get the like we get this awesome bonus that people send us their <laughs> beer because they want us to try it. You, <laughs> yeah, you, I do. You do. How <laughs> fantastic! Like, I love my job. <laughs> yeah, like that's enough to to run the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just like you know, it does. It really, it really helps. It really helps a lot. <laughs> it's a, it's now a, this is this one's cool too because it's just like awesome fortified meat. It's nineteen percent, so it can, it, it just wow. kicks your butt. Ooh, yeah, and it's. Uh, have you ever had a tawny port? No, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this is like a really good tawny port. It's mead aged with brandy spirits in brandy barrels. Wow. By one of the few winery distilleries in the country. No kidding. Uh, and what is it again? Name the place again. Woodstone Creek. Woodstonecreek.com. Okay. Wow, yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Vicki, you know how to do it right. <laughs> well, I got lucky. I found these guys, and they sort of found me at the same time, and I talked them into sending me a couple of bottles. But uh, cool. this stuff rocks. I'm putting a case of this down. Okay. Okay, hang on a second. I'm gonna. I, I'm just gonna try to do this all at once because I think uh, I don't know. I'm kind of a. You can have a lot of cooks in the kitchen sometimes. So I believe we've got Julia Hers from Honeywine.com on the line with us too. Julia, are you there? Hi, everyone. I am here. There we go. Now, Julia, hey, Julia. Uh, uh, and and you guys know each other, right? Hey, hey, oh, yeah. Vicky, Vicky. Okay, hey, Julia, how you doing, dude? See? Great. It's a tight-knit group you all got going on. And both of these two, who, by the way, are nowhere near California, they know Mike as well. So you guys are all kind of a tight-knit group, the meat industry. Hi, Julia. Hi, Vicky. There you go. Hi, Mike. You owe me phone calls and cider. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're drinking some here right now for you. Yeah, that's right. Rub it in, dude. You owe me. <laughs> Actually, what are we having right yeah, now? Which because ones? that's my favorite. I knew that would be <laughs> your favorite. <laughs> v- Vicky, cover your ears. This is the Black Cherry Sizer. No, um, the lemon's my favorite. Mike. Okay, well, I have that here too. Oh. <laughs> You've got my address. Send me some. Okay. <laughs> now, this one's great, and it is a carbonated. It is, yeah, it's lightly carbonated. So okay. it's about you know in the in the beer world, you'd probably say this is only about you know two atmospheres, right? Okay, so you were okay uh, yeah. paying a couple extra tax dollars sure. on this guy because it, it's worth it. It's, it's a really huge, nice. it's a huge seller. Okay. Oh, it's it's great stuff, Justin. I had this stuff at Meat Festival last year. Yeah. Okay, you've had Mike's hard cider. Yeah. This is Mike's Super Rock Insider. Okay, this blows Mike's Hard Cider out of the water. Now, when you say Mike's Hard Cider, you're not talking Mike Fowles Hard Cider. You're talking about what well, everybody no, knows. Is you know, I'm talking Mike's Hard Lemonade guy. Yeah. Right? He's out of here, okay? I'm Mike with you Fowles on that. Comes- yeah, uh, no, Rabbit's Foot's taking over the world. Yeah, I would, I'll give you that. I'm not a big fan of the, of the Mike's Hard Cider. Of course, until he pays us for commercials or something. And then I'll, <laughs> well, yeah, right. And then <laughs> yeah, then I'll tell you how great it is. Now, uh, so here, let me just uh, give a little bit of difference here because, uh, so Vicky runs gotmead.com, which is just this fantastic resource, um, uh, very comprehensive for how to make mead and how to get mead and all sorts of things. And Julia, uh, now Julia, I, I love your resume because, uh, A, you're, you're, you're sort of after my own heart. You used to work for CNN. You're a broadcaster to begin with. Uh, broadcast journalism, I believe, was your degree, right? This is true. Okay, so you've done that. And then you got into the whole homebrewing and mead thing. And uh, you, you're not only an award-winning uh, homebrewer and mead maker, but uh, you now do uh, sort of PR and marketing for, for meaderies. Have I got all that right? Yeah, you do. I mean, the neat thing about it is, is there's actually enough of an industry for 
somebody like me to try and scrap by and do this. And so what I've started to do in the last year is actually consult to meteries, and I'm, I'm finding that I have a, a, uh, an interest from folks to help the startups because the startups don't know what to do first. Yeah. And so they're, you know, we say on behalf of at least the association, the International Mead Association, we estimate there's at least um, 100 companies in the U.S., if not more, making mead. Okay. Most of those opened in the last five to seven years. Wow. That's and a big boom. I, yeah, and, it just, and it's climbing, you know, we, Vicky too, Mike, too. I mean, we're all hearing about a new meadery or somebody that wants to open a mead, like, every month. Yeah. So now, it's, it's really starting to pop. Mike, is, is that, when you hear about that, is that a great thing to you, or you're like, oh, shit? Uh, both. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> but it's, it's all shit because it's more competition, and it's, sure. it's a great thing because it raises awareness in the industry. Right? Yeah. No, it, it really does. I'm actually surprised at that number. Um in looking in our area, Mike, I mean, you, uh, you, uh, you're one of the only ones around here. There's, uh, there's a company in Oakland that doesn't even call themselves a meadery. They make, um. In at Tedge. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. So I'm actually surprised at that hundred number. Not that they all should be in California. It's not what I mean, but that it's a lot more popular than I think it, you would think, uh, upon just doing a quick search for meat. Sure. And it's getting more popular, right? You got probably, yeah. there's eight companies in California that I can name. Yeah. Okay. Oh, in, within California. That's right. Sure. There's a couple in Southern California, too. Going right, Southern California along the Sierra Foothills and then up in Northern California in Eureka. Okay. Well, right, but let, Justin, ahead. let me jump in. This is sure. Julia. It's not going to be to the level that we want it until just like craft beers and artisanal beers, people are walking into their local establishment saying, what mead do you make in town? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, that's kind of the – although, you got to – that's going to be far away, isn't it? I'd like to say 10 years. Okay. You're gonna, you're gonna. Maybe less if we can make it that way. If I have my way about it, it'll be ten years. It'll be ten years. Okay. What? Now, t- next year would be good, Julia. Next year would be even better. <laughs> now, let me start with Julia, and I'll go to Vicky. You know what got you in into mead and so passionate about it that you wanted, you know, jump on and and, and move it forward like this. Well, I was a, a total fan of uh, of you know micro and brew pub beers, and as a home brewer. Me and my brother had a beer can collection when I was little, and I just was always into, like, the packaging. And then when I was legal or before then, I was into the taste. Right. And then the first time I ever had mead, I had, like, 12 of them at a tasting all in one evening. (laughs) That'll make a fan of anybody. Oh, yeah. I was just completely blown away by the diversity. And the flavor and aroma profiles for the fermentable honey is, like, nothing else possible. Okay. I mean, mead is definitely, the answer to your question from my end of it is, in my opinion, meat is the most diverse beverage category possible because you can add the fruit, herbs, or spices to the fermented honey. Yeah. So it's the diversity and the flavors that it affords. It's, it's, to me, meat has the taste that I'm after. Now, before tasting a few of them like I have, I wouldn't have, I don't know, I would have argued with you about that point because I never would have thought that mead would be something that people would say, Wow, there's so many different flavors and varieties of mead. I mean, I'm just being honest here. I would have thought that people would go, well, it's honey wine and it tastes like honey and you, you have honey or you don't. And, and, but I can see what you're talking about, especially with Mike telling me about the different flowers and the different honey that, that adds different characteristics. Then, uh, I'm starting to see your point. You know, excellent progress. Vicki, uh, how did you get into the whole deal? Uh, Renaissance festivals, actually. I uh, discovered one at a Renaissance fair about, oh, God, must have been low these years ago. And um, I don't know, it must have been close to 20 years ago now. And I got to thinking, hey, this is pretty good stuff. I wonder if I can make this. And started doing research on, on what was then the fledgling Internet and 
started finding a few links here and there and started a website. That's where Got Me came from. Okay. But um, I, I discovered that you can, that Julia's right, there's an infinite number of varieties, and not just from the honey varieties like Mike's described to you, but um, when you think about it, beer has categories that are long established. You know, you've got your IPAs, you've got your Belgians, you've got, you know, so on and so forth. Sure. And there's there's ways to, to dance around all of those different tunes, but there's limited ways to dance around them. You can only dance a rumba so many ways. But with mead, um, there are no rules. <laughs> so, um, yeah. well, for instance, this last year at the mead festival, we had a hot pepper mead from South Africa that was to die for, and nobody would have, you know, I mean, it's just not something you see in the beer world. Yeah. Well, we have chili beers, but they're not uh, definitely not taking the world by storm or anything. You know. Well, this one, I'll tell you what, was the fastest disappearing mead at the Mead Festival because I tried for uh, two nights running and could not get a taste of it, and I was right there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Danielle is still, every time she takes a sip of this, uh, the mead we're drinking here, she just can't go. Oh, now you've got the other one? Is oh. it? Yeah, it's, that's the hard lemonade. Oh, now the hard lemonade oh. one, too. I haven't even tried it yet. Oh, God, it's so good. Mike Mike was, must never leave again. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's my favorite show ever. <laughs> yeah. have to go Mike do Mike Hard it. Lemonade, I could, I could bathe in that stuff. Can I, just, I want to jump in and say what Mike's done with these carbonated sizers. Do it. He's showing that fermented honey can be a session beverage. I mean, okay. it, it's, it's truly the, the, the draft meads that I've had are, are a great introduction to folks of how honey cannot be cloying but can be completely enticing. I yeah. mean, they're, they're quaffable, to say the least. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, that it doesn't just have to be a, a sit-down and have a little sip or sit right. down and get hammered. Right. Um, if or you have do one it. after dinner and you're done. Yeah. Have two. <laughs> <laughs> or do I wait till after dinner? No, that's true. I'm going to say that the carbonation in these ones, I think, is what helps what you're doing with that. Right, right? Because exactly. it, it is more. it makes it more palatable, it cuts a little bit for you, and it's a little more what people expect out of a going out and having a beverage beverage. Right. You go out and have a pint of this in the pub. Yeah. Exactly. You could do it a, a lot easier. I think you're making, uh, you know, more of a bridge than you are, you know, breaking ground necessarily. I like to call these my gateway drugs. Yeah. Ex- and that's exactly <laughs> what you should. Right. Yes. And I think it, yeah, I'll, I'll, Danielle I'll is a good <laughs> example of that. You've just given her the uh, equivalent of the cousin, yeah. but in the alcohol world. Hey, you know, if your date doesn't like beer, it can still be a fun date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, take a tour of Rabbit's Foot before yeah. you, uh, you go out. Hey, and you know well, what? I, so this, I have to listen to that need is the drink of love. Is that right? Tell that me is that what is are you making that up or that's yeah, the no, history? No, I did make that up and I'm now saying it is fact. So basically it's true. There you go, Justin, have some but more. She, <laughs> she's basing that she's basing that in a well in a, in a really really big legend, the whole honeymoon concept. So, ah. yeah, it is fact. <laughs> I read that story. Tell us that story real briefly, Vicky. The hu- okay. what's the honeymoon legend? It is said that in olden times, and, and nobody ever really specifies the olden times, just olden times. Like when Doc that, was a kid. Um, yeah, there are some who, some who say Babylonian, some say Sumerian, some say medieval times. It really just depends on who you ask. That um, when a couple were married, uh, they would be locked in a room for 30 days and be given meat every day in order to help produce a child, preferably a boy child. And uh, that when they came out, you know, hopefully the wife, you know, the, the young wife would be pregnant. Yeah. And therein. Because a month is a moon, uh, therein coined the term honeymoon. Okay. And therefore derives the whole mead is a drink of love kind of thing. Now, is the mead, was it supposed to increase fertility or just get them drunk enough to, uh, you know, sort of be a social Hammer lubricant? Hammer like rabbits. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Well, actually, this Royal Society of Chemists went in to do a study, which they never got to complete, but I'm hoping they do one day. And the theory behind their study was they were trying to um, prove that it raised the pH levels uh, in the mother-to-be. Aha. Uh-huh. So pH, higher pH levels. And that would favor the male sperms. Uh, oh, is that right? Higher pH uh, favors uh, male sperms. So you are a doctor. He is yeah. really a doctor. <laughs> is that weird that uh, we have an actual doctor? Oh, so nice. it's kind of like star sand. <laughs> <an opposite. laughs> yeah, it's like, exactly. It's the mead uh, equivalent of star sand. <laughs> Sanitizer. Well, not to mention when you take, uh, you know, uh, a young man and, and at that time would have been like, oh, a 12 or 13-year-old young woman. Apply them with uh, alcohol. Lord. And lock them in a room for a month. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing better to do. Yeah. <laughs> we better stop it right there, Vicki. I don't know what you're trying to do. Sorry, I went to a northern college. What can I say? <laughs> now, well, here's what I wanted to talk about briefly with Vicki, too, because uh, now uh, I don't know Vicki real well. We've spoken a few times, and I'm going to talk about some of the things we, we spoke about at the end so I can put you on the spot, Vicki. Uh, oh, but, okay. But before I do that, uh, every time I try to get a hold of Vicki, she's either like uh, killing people in the Civil War reenactment, or she's at the <laughs> Ren Fair, or she's at. What is it with Mead and. And this uh, sort of bringing back history sort of thing. you got to yep. give me the uh, the, the uh, relation here. Well, the Renfrew thing is kind of obvious. I mean, let's think about it. How many times you read about King Arthur and Mead, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. That, that, that kind of goes hand in hand. And even though it's not a King Arthurian time period, people tend to think of it like that. But the whole Renfrew thing was where I discovered Mead. But more so, um, I'm a living history reenactor for 16th century Elizabethan, and I work down at, uh, from time to time, at the Roanoke Island Festival Park in Manio, North Carolina. I live okay. in North Carolina. And I also go to Ren Fairs for fun, one or two a year. And then the whole Civil War thing, where if you'd have got me in May, you'd, got, you'd, you'd have had uh, your interview to the backdrop of Cannon Fire, which yeah. would have been kind of cool. Yeah, that would have been nice. Um, yeah, it would have sounded like Gettysburg on drugs, you know. Right. <laughs> um, so you, that's I just do, part uh, of your whole thing. Well, I'm just into history, and... I'm a, uh, nor- I'm a I'm a skirmisher. Uh, everybody knows what reenactors are. They're the ones that you see running across the field of Gettysburg, dropping dead over from the heat, okay. wearing all that wool. Um, what I do is uh, I use live ammunition for one thing. Whoa. We're running out of Yankees, so if y'all are interested in signing up, that would be good. What are you but, talking about? <laughs> you actually, what? How much mead, how much mead is being drank? Yeah. Uh, we drink a lot of beer at skirmishing, actually. My, I have been introducing these guys to mead and cordials, and they're just loving it. <laughs> but um, more, uh, what we're doing is competition shooting. So we're actually standing in a line shooting at, at uh, inanimate targets. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. That's uh, pictures of cannons, things like that. But um, it's really fun because it's a 50-year-old institution. In fact, the reenacting organization arose out of it. Okay. So now, it's, it's, that's just me being in, into history, really. So when you say living actor and skirmisher, what you mean really is that you have nothing better to do except for gotmead.com. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I actually have a real job, which is writing websites. Okay. And um, I do got mead in and around the you know edges and at night and on weekends and when I can't sleep, which is most of the time. And gotcha. Yeah. So got mead is technically a hobby. Yes. Okay. Sounds like honeywine.com. Is that same yeah. thing for you, Julia? Yeah. I yeah. want. I mean, I I see numbers enough to prove that it can be a business one day. Yeah. 
Um, and welcome to the club. Avenues, <laughs> yeah, Julie and I are going to take over the world before Mike does. So, okay, hey, more power to you, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I'm making fun of you, Vicky, but I actually dig it, and that's why I, I was using that as an example because it is really Pick cool. All you like, I have a hell of a lot of fun doing it, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> and I actually like that uh, with something like Mead and its historical value, you actually have something to sort of uh, place it in reference and 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 talk about it in that realm too. So, well, I, and, I dig and, that you do that. Here's an interesting point. When I'm working in Manio doing living history, what I do is mead-making demonstrations for the general public. Okay. So that's, you know, I mean, if you want to pull it in real tight, that's that's my direct connection for mead and, and, and what I do for fun on the weekend. Do you okay. boil or not boil? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of it. I will mix up an entire mead sitting in the sun in a jar, you know, using a jar and spices and hand-crushing the spices in the whole nine yards. And And not boil it? Not boil, not heat, not nothing. Pitch and stir. Mike, you got to tell me if that's healthy. Oh, God, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't selling it, so I don't have to worry about Especially it. Especially in that North Carolina heat. Yeah. And <laughs> it's what? not the heat, it's the humidity. <laughs> now, is there a big difference between setting out a jar to be sun-warmed and, and the outcome of that than actually you know, trying to pasteurize it a little bit? Who allows it to get warmed? I just dump the honey into the cold water and start stirring. And then add yeast and that's that? Yeah, add yeast and whatever else I feel like putting into it and hand out recipes and then take my jar and go home. Should patent that as sun mead. Yeah. Sun mead, yeah. All right, Vicky, <laughs> I've had some... I haven't killed anybody yet, okay? <laughs> I've had some hippies on this show, myself not excluded, but that's the hippiest thing I've ever <laughs> heard anybody say. Oh, God. All my all my daughter's friends tell me I'm a hippie. No, I, oh. know I also know that while you're doing that, you've got dirty bare feet, and you're just like running around in the mud and the grass and the whole bit. Come on. Oh, I am not. I've got shoes on my feet, Mike. Come on, you do SCA, or at least you used to before you had a real life. <laughs> that was Justin that said that. I, I would never say that about you, Vicky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, no, I've got clothes on and stuff. You know, and I'm he, he was talking about I shoes. Wash my hands. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you were a Berkeley hippie. I didn't go that far. No, no, no. Actually, I sterilize all of my equipment before I get out there, and I keep it all wrapped up. So that when I do get out there, I set it all out on my table, which has got a cloth on it. And it's as sterile as it can be in an open-air environment. Right. I mean, sitting in the sun in the open air, it's... Uh... Actually, the demo's done under a tent uh, top, so I'm not in the sun, per se. Okay. Well, you where know, can I've people... I've been told real quick that monks used to sit out a um, pail of honey and let the rainwater catch in it, let it sit all week while they fasted, and then on Sundays when they break their fast, they'd, uh, you know, have salmon, break bread, and drink their meat. It had to taste more like a like a saison, though, wouldn't you think? Like all wild yeast in there? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, oh, I'm yeah, all right with it. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad that. thing. I'm just thinking yeah. that had to be the outcome. Well, the Polish meads nowadays on the market to me are like the Belgian beer of meads. There's crazy yeah. flavor characteristics in those meads. Okay, we got a Polish meat here. We're going to try in a little bit too. Awesome. Yeah. So a listener, oh, cool. a listener sent it to us about a year ago. I've been aging it and waiting for this show, and we're gonna we're gonna try that too. So I've got. Which one is it? Uh, I don't know, Mike. I I couldn't even read what it is. Do you know which one it is? It's the Jadigwa Royal Mead. Jadwiga. Oh, Jadwiga. Oh. Yeah, we're drinking the whole thing here before I leave. It's good stuff, right? Royal? Yeah. Is it 12 or 25. Oh, uh, he's going to check it out. If, uh, yeah, there's different. Um, it's probably a 25, Vicky, if you got it a year ago. Yeah, I think I got it a year ago, and it was sent. And the listener actually got upset because he's like, you're not drinking and what I sent. But I was like, no, it, it actually it looks like a really good beverage. We're waiting for a special occasion, which uh, in this case is the meat show. 
So uh, I can do a great introduction to that mead if you let me. Go right, go for it. Do it right now. Yeah. Okay. So basically, this is imported into the U.S. by um, Stalski. Do I say that right? I always botch their name. Yeah. Imports, and they bring the mead in. Um, it's a Peace Meadery, APIS, who's making these meads, and there's others that they also bring in. It sells retail for like 25 bucks, which is insane. And uh, we actually got our local liquor store in Boulder to carry it. Oh, great. And the bottles that you used to get up until about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, were 25 years old in the bottle before they even put it on a ship to bring it over into Chicago to distribute it across the U.S. Okay. And this is the world's oldest in existence, at least to my knowledge, correct me if you've got anything else to add to it, recipe still being made today. According to the Stosky folks, it's an 800-year-old recipe that's still being made. Wow. And it's definitely a dessert-style mead. Um, it borders on very sweet. It's 15 to 18% alcohol. And the bottles that you're getting nowadays are usually five to seven years in the bottle. So they're not those old 25-year-olds. And I've got, like, two of those that I'm just holding on to, and I, I really don't know when the best occasion to drink those would be. See, now you're changing my opinion. This one's a six-year-old, Julia. Okay, so it's not a 25-year-old. So maybe I don't yeah. want to crack it open. Maybe we ought to no. save it. Oh, don't, well, you know, you, life's short. You could get hit by a truck, drink the mead. She makes wow. a good point. Yeah, you can always get more of the six-year-old dude. Okay. And, and I probably and, will get know, hit by a truck, too, by the way. It's, uh, <laughs> those beer trucks come along an awful lot. you got to watch out. I got hit by a beer truck here last week, man. Oh, the mash tun might fall off. What a way to go, there huh? Go. go ahead, Julia. Well, three parts honey to one part water. That tells you how sweet it is. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And the Polish guys are just incredible with their approach to meat. I need to get over there and learn more. Um, but and there uh, are other meaders that have gotten involved in the mead festival and gotten their face out there. But they approach their meads with their um, dilution rate. So I can't even pronounce the words they put to it. But that three-part honey to one-part water is um, uh, moid pitney. Am I saying that even remotely right, Vicky? Oh, that... I don't know. Yeah, so I forgot they... to explain it. Okay, so if they dilute it to a certain rate, it's got a different title. And this dilution rate, the three to one, is the moid pitney. Okay. And then last, what I would know of um, besides honey is in there is raspberries and wild rose. Nice. Yeah. I think it's really good stuff. I, I think that the wild rose is the care. I tried uh, uh, some from somebody else's batch, and the wild rose is something that really stood out in this that made it just fantastic. It doesn't because they use a real heavy honey, so it, it covers it up an awful lot. Oh, okay, now uh, dilution rate, Mike, is is kind of what you were talking about earlier. With uh, it depends on how much water you're going to go ahead and add, not uh, whether or not you, just, you know, when you're deciding if you want a sweet or a dry exactly mead. You're talking about your dilution rate, right? Yeah, so if you put in more water, it's going to be less strong or less sweet. Okay. If you put in you know, more water, obviously, it's going to be the opposite of that. Now, is there a standard, you know, in saying three to two or three to one, or, or is it just really what you're going to, what you want to taste? Know, most of the uh, wineries in Poland that make mead, they use that same standard because that's what people are used to over there. Okay. Here in the United States, we kind of say, you know, sweet, dry, semi-sweet, trying mm-hmm. to model it after the wine industry, which you know, may or may not be correct. It really depends on... You know, what your own opinion is of, of the wine industry or the brewing industry in general for categorizing meat. I mean, that's something that uh, Julia and both, well, both Julia and Vicky are working on as part of the International Meat Association. Mm. Talk about that. Do one of you want to pick up that, uh, getting into the categorizing mead? Well, well go ahead, Vicky. <laughs> from a home brewing standpoint, three to one is where we start out pretty much all the newbies. Um, okay. And it's just a good place to start. But for the international... Uh, Meat Association, Julia and I and a number of other people are working on some standards on that. 
and trying to come up with something for the commercial industry because we need something that people can recognize. Now, is that the similar principle behind, like, for brewers, we have the BJCP um, so that we have standards that we can judge and recognize? Are you looking to do the same thing? Well, there already are BJCP standards for mead, um, but they don't specify amounts of honey to amounts of water, et cetera. Um, that is something that we are looking to expand upon as time goes on. Uh, I'm part of the committee of home mead makers that's part of the International Mead Festival or the International Meat Association, and um, that's something that we see coming down the line, but um, it's going to be a while. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad to see you guys are, are, are working hard at that stuff and, and moving things forward that way. I was talking to Mike a little bit about that before the show. Right. We were talking about how it's hard to uh, uh, to say who's doing what if there's no standards, there's no language to talk about it with. Right, because one know. person's sweet meat is another person's dry meat. Yeah. Right. And, and now... I, we talk about that a lot on the show. We have in the past, uh, and we have a lot of people who say, man, do I love the BJCP guidelines for beer, and other people who say, that's just ridiculous. You should not have guidelines. You brew what you want. And one consensus that we've been able to find is that it always helps at least to have a common language to talk about. Certainly. And if you don't have the same words to use, you can't communicate about what you're talking about. That's absolutely true. So Yeah. A good deal, and, and I think that you're right because I, I don't want to sit here and say, "Wow, that's a sweet mead," and, and have you tell me, "Well, no, it's not. You're, you're stupid." Uh, <laughs> I'd rather us be able to come to some common terms and, and 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 help me figure out what's a sweet mead and what's a dry mead. You don't right. need a reason to call them stupid. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. So but right now it's anybody's ball game. There's still some standards, but nobody's using all the same standards. Okay. Oh, a, a perfect example is this. Uh, okay, uh, Mike, Julia, you both had the Javiga, right? Yes. Yeah. We would. I think we could all safely say that's a sweet mead. Sure. I call that very sweet. Yeah, extra sweet. Okay. Yeah. All right. Extra this delicious. Wood- yeah. Okay. Well, this Woodstone Creek that I'm drinking, based on my standards, based on Jadviga at one end, and um, oh God, pull one out of my butt here. White. Uh, Re- What's her name? Up in Wisconsin, they've got a dry that it's like bone dry. White winter. Yeah, yeah, White Winter's dry. Is, is they had one that was bone dry one year. And those were my two, like, ends of the rope, if you will. And this Woodstone, to me, feels like a semi-sweet, but the ABV on it is 9. So, you know, at least according to their literature, it is. I wouldn't cl- classify it as a sweet. You know, I classify it as a semi-sweet. But it's not really a mead. It's not? Oh, it is definitely a mead. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's a honey. It's actually a fortified mead. It's a... Uh, it's a it's a mead that's had uh, brandy added to it, but um, but that would be illegal. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, according to the TTB, you can't add spirits to a honey wine. You can in Ohio. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to ask. Is that a, is it a federal thing or a by state? Come on, thing? Ohio's boring. You got to do well, that's, something. That, you know? that would be a federal standard. I've, I've been trying. Federal. I've been trying for five years to do exactly that to be able to well, add a little something. Well, let me see here. It is a medium sweet honey wine. So I'm reading it off the label. Medium sweet honey r- wine. After the addition of grape spirit, the wine is aged. It's not. It's fortified, Mike. It's not. It's not um, fermented out to nineteen. Sure. They call yeah, it. They say grape spirit. Yeah, they add grape spirit to it. Maybe it that's how they got away with it. So they're basically, it's really they're calling it a grape wine, but on the label it says honey wine. Maybe. Well, it says formula. wine on the label. It says legacy honey wine, grape spirit added. So Mike. Wait. Oh, now, now they're going to be shut down tomorrow. Yeah, you just put them in. <laughs> I hope Good not. job, they make great stuff. <laughs> this argument <laughs> no, is so great, though, because you try and make commercial mead right now, and that's why we need an association exactly. with people that work for it 
to to put our case to the feds. Yeah. You, you, one guy gets labeled for one thing and can ferment something in his house that the next guy can't. Right. And it's talk about we don't even. Never mind not having style guidelines for sweetness levels that people can't agree on. We don't have the feds agreeing on how you can label your stuff. Right. Yeah. In well, fact, I I have a petition in with the TTB right now specifically for that. Really? Okay. For, well, let me for fortified or what? Yes. Nice. Let me interject real quick here that this Woodstone Creek is in fact also a distillery, yep. and that Mike may make the difference. Ah, so there you go. Yeah, so they, they might put the, the word license. mead on their bottle, but they maybe register well, it. Well, they can't use the word mead on their bottle because there's no federal. Uh, Mike, back me up on this because you've done the commercial thing. There's no federal definition of mead, but um, they call it honey wine. But they have a distillery license, which makes a big difference. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the distillery license will allow them to fortify pretty much anything, but then they shouldn't be able to bottle it as a wine. They would bottle it as a honey liqueur. Yeah, it's not right. labeled as a liqueur. It's labeled as no, a wine. I, 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 we've got uh, some of our mead actually distilled at a local distillery, and we, it's been sitting in a barrel waiting to be used. I just can't use and it. And you haven't because, set me oh. uh, That would, that would <laughs> no, be illegal. Mike, I thought you were my friend. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to stop by and get a taste of that either, because that would be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I I gotta get I got a bunch of questions in front of me for Mike. Um, so uh, Julia, uh, real quick, tell us about Honeywine.com. Okay, the difference between GotMead.com and Honeywine.com, which is a good one because they're two of the main sites out there dedicated to mead right now. Um, Honeywine.com is dedicated to commercial mead, and uh, with that, it's the one place at least, and it's a labor of love. But at least I provide since 1998 a place for folks to go to get different commercial mead from different commercial meaderies. So it's like the wine.com of the web. Oh, so you can order right there. Yeah, you can order right there. So it's particularly focused for orders of mead. Cool. And through that, I also um, you know, have resources information and I'll let people share some of their stories and recipes and the like and, and look to get it beefed up um, certainly a lot more in 2007 after my redesign. That's actually fantastic because it's it's hard to get local mead. So if you can get it from all over through Honeywine.com uh, from wherever you are in the country, that's a good deal. So yeah. I, I can go on ra- uh, Honeywine.com and get rabbit's foot? Not yet. No rabbit's foot? <laughs> Mike, are you holding out yeah. on Julia? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a cool thing. Okay, so uh, commercial mead resources, honeywine.com, and that's Julia Hurst. Vicki, tell us about gotmead.com, as if people uh, don't know that. I get emails about it every day. <laughs> well, gotmead.com is the one-stop source for home mead makers. We are the largest mead-related website on the Internet, as far as I know. Uh, I've got something like 2,500 pages of information from everything from articles to recipes, links to commercial meaderies all over the world, so we can't do, like, honeywine.com and let you buy it. I don't have anything to do that yet. Um, but uh, you can find you can find homebrew clubs. You can find honey sources. You can find recipes from all over the world and in all different kinds of mead varieties. And then we've got a forum with over 46,000 posts in it right now. And some like uh, this month, I believe we're going to hit 120,000 unique visitors to the site. Wow, that's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's getting out of control. <laughs> but do you have, do you have <laughs> T-shirts that say "Got Mead"? Oh yeah, gotta have those, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I got T-shirts. I got T-shirts. I got little pewter pins. I got uh, I got several different things. We're fixing to have a supply store with uh, mead making supplies going online here pretty soon too. Cool. Did now, you yeah, just so use the word "fixing"? <laughs> she did. Awesome. <laughs> I'm and fixing to do something. When we talked a while ago, 
Vicky, you are talking about doing a Mead podcast. What's happening with that? Well, uh, basically, it is going to happen. It's just a question of me getting my button gear and getting it done because okay. I'm sort of embroidering this all around my web design yeah, work. Yeah. So, um, you know, as much as I'd like to make Got Mead my life until I have enough money coming in through Got Mead to support me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not going to be anytime soon the way it's going. So, Well, plus you know. it might uh, cut into your weekends using live ammunition on Yankees. <laughs> That's actually only like 12 weekends a year, believe it or not. It only. sounds like a lot, but you just had bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Vicki Rowe from GotMead.com, which really is a fantastic resource, and uh, Julia Hers from HoneyWine.com, and you can get uh, meads from all over the country there. That's fantastic, too. I want to thank you both for coming on the show today. That's great. Thanks, Thanks a lot. For, Justin, thanks for having us. Your show makes me want to say one word. Yo. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> and dude, and dude, don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, you got to throw a couple of those in there. I think we're going to be doing some more uh, Mead shows in the future, so I hope you two are going to be on board for that. All right, great. Well, I... Enjoy the Dodwiga. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're going to have it right now. Thanks for the intro to that because uh, I didn't know anything about it except that it's supposed to be really good. So <laughs> I appreciate you telling me all about it, Julia. Great. Cool. Take care. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Vicky. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Okay. There you go. So two of the uh, premier women in uh, Mead, the premier anything in Mead, you can go to gotmead.com and uh, honeywine.com, and they're doing a lot for it. Um, Julia's really active. That That's that's fantastic. I mean, I just met her briefly at the GABF, but uh, since then been finding out all the things she does for Mead. Right. It's, it's really great. Yeah, she's been involved with uh, Redstone from the beginning as well, and now she's branched off on her own quite a bit. That's really a cool deal. So, all right, thank you to both of them. Okay, here's the deal. I think I got one more guest to get on the phone who is an award-winning mead maker. Plus, we've got more mead to try. Plus, I really do have a bunch of questions in front of me for you. In fact, part of me wants to spend about, uh, I don't know, maybe we should spend a few minutes hitting some questions right now before we break. Sure. What do you think? It's fine with me. Anyone got a pee so bad that Danielle they uh, can't has leave? a sign. Except for Dan. She's got a pee-pee sign in front of her. Because yeah. <laughs> it's going to be our last break if we take a break. That's fine. You want to do it? All right, we'll do that. We'll take a break real quick. I do have your questions in front of me, and we'll do a whole big question thing. So if you've got more, uh, just join the chat room. Danielle is in there. She'll take all your questions. You can call us up at 888-401-BEER, or you can Skype us on the Brewing Network. I think our Skype name is Brewing Network, and you can get us there, and we'll take all your questions. Still have Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Meadery with us today. You can go to rabbitsfootmeadery.com, and we're going to answer all your questions when we come back, taste some more mead, listener mead included, and have some more fun. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Oh, sinner, do not stray from the straight and narrow way. For the Lord is surely watching what you do. If you approach the devil's den, turn round, don't enter in. Lest the hand of the Almighty fall on you. He'll fuck you up. He'll fuck you up. Yes, God will fuck you up. If you dare to disobey his stern command, he'll fuck you up. Don't you know he'll fuck you up So you better do some praying while you can Long ago a man named Lot Had a wife he thought was hot But she could not stop her black and sinful ways You know 
it was her own damn fault when God turned that bitch to salt. That's the way he used to work back in those days. He fucked him up. He really fucked him up. When the people went and turned their backs on him, he can fuck you up. No shit, he'll fuck you up. Just like he fucked the people up back then. I used to have a friend named Ray who walked that evil way. He cursed and drank and broke his neighbor's fans. You know Ray was full aware that some sheep were over there, and he knew them in the biblical sense. God fucked him up. He went and fucked Ray up. When paid him back for all his wicked sins, he fucked him up. Fucked that boy completely up. Now he's married to a Presbyterian. The long-awaited need show. We got Mike Fowl from Rabbit's Foot Meadery uh, in the studio with us today, and drinking a lot of mead and cider and sparkling mead, and and I don't even you know know all the stuff we've been having. You, you brought a lot of goodies for us. I appreciate that, Mike. Stuff. Uh, we're gonna keep drinking some of uh, Mike's as well as opening up the uh, gift that was sent to us by a listener not too long ago, and I also have. A homebrewed mead in the studio here from Casey Dave, and he actually hand-delivered this to us, Doc, just before the anniversary show. And we've been holding on to it, and he just had a baby a couple of weeks ago. And we're gonna, so when we open that sucker, we're going to uh, toast to him. Uh, and then you've got some uh, – Doc also brought some some homebrewed mead here too, didn't you? Yeah, I got two of them. One uh, Chris made uh, for Olin's wedding. It's okay. old. And uh, another one, uh, my friend of mine, uh, his girlfriend had uh, – made mead and she moved on a long time ago and he found this carboy off in the back corner and he uh, bottled it up and it's not too bad cool so we'll be trying uh, all of that stuff uh, in the meantime let me get through some of these questions i've had in front of me uh for you and they're gonna kind of uh, run the gamut for you mike but uh, we need to get them out there uh, one person wants to know he says is my blackberry sicer a sicer or a melamel it has both apple juice and blackberries. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> there's no category for that? I don't think there's a categorization for it. I mean, if you want to call it a sizer, call it a sizer. You know, if you think it's got a better apple character than the, you know, the blackberry, call it, you know, sizer. Okay. If you think it's got more blackberry, call it a melamel. Really. Okay. This That's is what I was talking about earlier, right? There's no clear definition of what is what, right? Yeah. There are some, you know, loose definitions about what it's supposed to be, but, you know, who's to say whether it's supposed to have more apple flavor or more blackberry flavor? Right. Okay, makes sense. Someone wanted to know. Oh, there's that throat catching out to me. <laughs> oh, I knew it was going to get me eventually. More mead. Yeah, more mead, please. Actually, uh, you bring up a good point because when you have a, a sore throat, if you're a singer or something, they tell you to uh, have like sort of spoonfuls of honey. You just take a straight spoonful of honey. So maybe we could just, you know, drink in mead. I could uh, have, bypass yeah, the. Have glasses of mead instead. <laughs> yeah. We're opening up this uh, special mead that was sent to us now and pouring it. Uh, this listener wanted to know um, does he need to add malolactic to mead? 
And, and what is that? Is that a nutrient? No, malolactic is probably malolactic acid. Mm-hmm. Or, or malolactic bacteria. Or malolactic which eats bacteria, it. sure, yeah. I see. Yeah. Well, no, because normally what you would use the malolactic bacteria in fermentation for in winemaking would be to reduce the acidity at the end of fermentation. So unless your, uh, you know, unless your, your, your mead when it's done fermenting is very acidic, you probably wouldn't want to add, you know, ML to it. Okay. That answers no. No, sir. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Personally, I mean, I don't add anything at the end of fermentation. What you've got is what you've got. No back blending, no back sweetening, no nothing. T- time will fix everything. This mead is really good too. <clears throat> what did you tell me that I was I should expect from this when I drink it? Dark, heavy, syrupy, sweet. I get all that except that there's enough alcohol to cut down on the syrupy. Uh, at least in the aftertaste, it kind of yeah. it goes away. Definitely, it's left on your yeah, on lips, your lips there. But it's sort of, um, it's got other sort of oaky flavors in there too. That's the age, right? It's been aged in oak in in, in Poland for a while. And that, is that where the color's coming from too? A lot, some of it. A yeah. lot of the color comes from the actual type of honey that's yeah, used as well. Wheat. Okay, buckwheat honey, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so, Vicky actually called this the kissing mead because it leaves it on your lips a lot. Yeah, it's it's really nice. I It'd like be nice this. after a big steak. Yeah, I'm all really fat after a meal and just just getting this go down. Good yeah. little dessert cutter right there. Mm-hmm. Now, as home brewers, can we do oak chips? Sure. Is that the same kind of you know? Yeah, you can do anything you want. Okay. If you wanted to add oakiness to your mead, just take a bag of oak chips, you know, whatever toast you want, like medium toast, heavy toast. Yeah. Put it in the carboy or in the bucket. And just let it sit there for until it tastes the way you want it to taste. Okay. <laughs> now, here's a silly question that came through. Uh, do you have any good commercial examples for first-time mead drinkers? For first-time mead drinkers. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you can get it. Um, yeah, these Polish meads are good. Yeah. Uh, Lindisfarne mead from uh, the, the, you know, the Holy Island in, in England, that's good, too. Okay. Um, you know, Mountain Meadows, Hydran Meadery, my own, of course, mm-hmm. um, Redstone. Okay. Everybody has, you know, that's in the industry today has a good mead. What's it, the style that someone should look for if it's their first mead? It, it depends on what they want. If yeah. they're if they're expecting something sweet, then they should look for a sweet mead. Okay. If they're looking for something that's you know a little more complex, maybe look for a sweet traditional mead that might have blends of different honeys in it. Yeah. Uh, if they want something that's carbonated and dry and sparkling, go to Hydran Meadery in Arcata and, and grab some of their champagne-style meads. Okay. All right. All good advice. How come – somebody wants to know – I guess this is just a rabbit's foot question. How come I can only get the pear and apple sizer in Pennsylvania? Because that's the only thing that your fine state purchased to put in your stores. Ah, so it's their bad. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the blackberries, but. Yeah, blackberry's yeah. really good too. So. Well, the apple's real nice, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, we talked to them about that, and they just basically they so they, they took all of our products, put it in all their liquor stores, but mm-hmm. they only wanted to buy the two first. And then okay, they said depending on the success of those, will determine the success of the rest of them. Okay, in in Pennsylvania anyway. You talked about ambrosia earlier on the show. Um, <laughs> where to get that nectar? People want to know where to get a good ambrosia and uh, what yeast would work best with that flavor. Got any answer, any ideas about that? Well, so if you're looking for a sweet mead, you know, I mean, I wouldn't use a champagne-style yeast because that's probably going to ferment everything out pretty dry for you. Okay. You know, go with, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe an ale yeast would probably be good for a sweet mead. Okay. Have you uh, have you gotten to play with any of these encapsulated yeasts? Uh, yes. 
Yeah. Do you like them? I do. They're expensive, though. Yeah, they're very expensive. What's an encapsulated yeast? They're basically, the yeast cell itself is in a membrane, and in that membrane is all the nutrients and everything they need. Ah, okay. But the yeast cannot pass through this membrane. So you can stick it down into whatever you're going to ferment. It's traditionally used in dessert wines. And then when you want to be done fermenting, you literally pull the bag out. Ah, and then I, if I understand right, a lot of times you end up still needing to sterile filter, um, but for the most part, you can halt it just from doing that. Right? Okay, yeah. So you could you could use those encapsulated yeasts, ferment to the point of sweetness that you want, pull the bag out, filter it, and you're done. Okay. The reason you'd want a filter still is because there's other things going on in in the product that's going to be you know a little cloudy, some protein haze stuff like that. But also, if any of those little beads burst open, you're gonna have, you're gonna have yeast in there, but not on the same scale as you would if you just, you know, pitched a yeast into it. Okay. And is that available to homebrewers too, or is that a commercial thing? We do, um, break it down, but it's still talking 60 gallon bats as opposed ah, okay. to five. Yeah, I mean, sure. a normal, a normal package of that particular type of yeast would probably be $360 just Ooh. for the package. And if yeah. you break it down, then you're still talking, you know, how many did you break it down into? And it's still pricey, $50, $60. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd rather filter. <laughs> I'm alright with that. Just, uh, wait for it to fall out and then filter. Okay, I think we've got, uh, Pete slash Oscar on, on the phone with us too. Uh, Oscar, you there? Yeah, I sure am. How are you, buddy? Just great. How about you? Doing good. Now, Oscar is the forum administrator for gotmead.com, but, uh, more importantly, he's a hell of an award-winning mead maker and, uh, and, and knows a lot about the stuff. So we thought we'd get you on, on the horn here too, just to, to help us chime in. <laughs> uh, and talk about mead. Have you been having a couple meads yourself tonight? Oh, of course. Uh, down <laughs> into my uh, cherry sizer and to my uh, traditional oak mead. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good, Oscar. How's it going? Not too bad, Dad. Um, now, you just won at the uh, some some things at the California State Fair. Is that what the, is that what I was reading? You just won at a recent competition. Some yeah, at California State Fair, I took uh, first of class in uh, traditional meads and then best of show. Okay. Wow, and best of show. Look at you go. Fantastic, man. So that was kind of cool. That's great. How long have you been making meat? Um, since about 1978. No kidding. So you're like Doc's age. <laughs> <laughs> Probably older than Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm only you. allowed Thank to you do for that. <laughs> See, once we have your birthday party on the air, Doc, I'm allowed to make old jokes. Before that, go. I never would have mentioned it. Oh, you always made old jokes before that. <laughs> I don't think I did. Yeah, I think you did. Oh, I forgot about them then. No, I've actually <laughs> been over to Mike's uh, operation there, and it's great. His, his new location is excellent, and I'm just looking forward to getting back up there and throwing some darts with him. Now, is that right? You you're, you're guys are both dart guys, huh? Well, we have a dart board in the meadery tasting room. So. Oh, that's fantastic. You're like, hey, we're not doing anything today. Yeah, I just told him to make sure he's got a cot there for me, so next time I come by, I can just pass out in the front room. You're going to have to stick around. Okay, well, I'm still going through some questions that I got in front of me for my listeners here, Oscar, so you feel free to chime in as I'm throwing them out at Mike here. Sure. And uh, we'll get back into your history as well uh, when, when we're done. Um in fact, I got a good question, I think, for both of you that I'll save uh, kind of for the last one. But uh, uh, someone wanted to know uh, how much impact antibiotics in honey have on fermentation. Right. So we were talking about that earlier on, right? So in, in the United States, there are legal restrictions on what you can and can't add to the beehive, right, in order to inoculate it to prevent the varroa mites. Okay. In other countries, they don't have similar restrictions. So any products brought in from other countries may contain more, you know, than, than U.S. produced honey. Okay. So my recommendation would be just buy U.S. honey because you're you're going to pretty much be certain that it's not going to contain. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. There's uh, and getting as Mike mentioned earlier in the show as well, getting a good relationship with a 
local honey producer yeah. and knowing how they treat their hives or if they treat their hives and and what they do in case of the mite problem that they have there and such. So okay. that way you know you're getting pure product. Sure, and if you want, you know, 80 pounds of honey a year yourself, just get yourself a beehive. Yeah. There you go. Uh, everyone want to know what is everybody's preferred oaking method uh, <laughs> between the two of you. Uh, commercial, do you have to, you know, would you use an oak barrel yourself, Mike, being commercial, or would you use chips also? No, we do. We do use oak barrels. You so do? Our, okay. our dry meat and our meat of poetry, which is our version of the, you know, something similar to the Jadigua, is aged in oak. Okay. Right? The, la- the latest one has been in oak for five years. Okay. Wow. Right. That sounds nice. It's Okay. How about you, Oscar? What do you, what do you use as a home brewer? Well, I have a lot less space than Mike does there, but I do have uh, a couple of oak barrels, uh, French oak and American oak. But uh, most of my meads, I go ahead and treat with oak alternatives, either dominoes or uh, oak cubes. I like the cubes and dominoes because they infuse uh, more gradually and it's more controlled, more like a barrel would be, but not quite as, as nicely complex as a barrel would be. Uh, oak chips to me are somewhat monodimensional. They infuse a little too quickly, so the penchant for over oaking is is very very apparent with them. Yeah, okay. yeah I'd agree. You'd have to keep an eye on the uh, oak cubes. Man, I some of these some of these questions are going to make me sound retarded. Uh, please explain about. I should just make you read it. It's chili meat. What's the what's the technical term for chili meat? Capsimel. Capsimel. Thank you. <laughs> Danielle has it written as like. Capskikimals. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be a word. It's not even in any language is that a word. Yeah. That's Only what they the put web. down in the web. If you, if, if you go on Gottmead or go on Honeywine.com, you'll see the list of all of the different sort of types of mead that have different things in them. Okay. So what's the point of capskimals? Make it basically you make a, a mead that's got some bite to it. Like spicy so, so, so type of like some heat. Okay, yeah. some heat too. Uh, any advice? Uh, brief advice on using them? Uh, be very careful. Don't use habaneros or Scotch bonnets. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Too hot? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll take your meat over in a heartbeat. Yeah. I use dried chilies most of the time, and what I do is I go ahead and rehydrate them first, and I just take some of the tea and a little bit of the pulp from the chilies, and depending on the heat that I want, I'll put in some seeds as well. Okay. And uh, usually in a grain bag with the pulp and the seeds, that way I can extract them when I want to. Yeah. At what um, point do you put them in? I put them in during the ferment, and sure. then I go ahead and layer them in, in secondary as well. Yeah. So uh, if I've got like a good uh, chili taste with not a lot of heat, mm-hmm. and I want to layer in an additional flavor of some kind or another, like a jalapeno or something like that, I'll go ahead and strip out a couple of seeds and some of the vein from the ha- from the jalapeno, put it into a grain bag and put it in, and then go start testing it in, a, in about a day or so to see if it's brought up the heat and the flavor. Ah, and then you can just pull it right back out. Exactly. Now, when you say during the ferment, uh, you put it right when you've transferred to your fermenter? I put it right in the must. So you do. Okay, so right at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I had a lot of questions come through about aging, and we touched on it just briefly in in your case, Mike, about aging, because you you, you can't tie up your fermenters for too long. So let's talk about some general rules for for how long people need to age their mead they want to know. Well, you age it until it tastes good. Is that the, that's it? Just that's uh, pretty much it. Okay. Right. So it really depends on whether you age it in bottles or age it in bulk. The preferred method is obviously age it in bulk as long as you can. I had questions about both actually. Right. Yeah. So and then you know, aging it in oak versus stainless. You know, obviously there's the you know how much oak do you impart while you're aging it, and then yeah. do you use you know oak barrels that have been used previously? Of course, you can use you can use the oak continuously for any 
any period of time that you want until all the oak's gone out of it, and then it just becomes another bulk storage vessel. Okay. But in general, say, let, let's take, for example, a, a nice uh, Hefeweizen. If yeah. I were to brew Hefeweizen, they're better fresher. I'm not aging it for any period of time necessarily. It's done fermenting. It's ready to uh, chill, carbonate, and serve. Yeah. Uh, in, in meat, is that generally, I mean, do you want, uh, is there a period of time? You see what I'm saying? Is it you yeah, don't I, want to do it as soon as it's done? Sure. I would say that the, the heavier, more complex meads, you'd probably want to age for longer periods of time right? okay. to let those things kind of meld together. For you know, lighter, drier, crisper meads, you can probably drink those much sooner. Okay. And, and what about temperatures for aging? Uh, it just depends on really what it is that you have available for temperature control. You know, if you're a home brewer, maybe the basement it would be good. Right? Okay. A closet if you're living really cold places. If you could fridge it, would that be the best to put it in your refrigerator and, and sort of lager it? You could, yeah. You could you know, fridge it in a glass carboy probably be the best place to do it. Okay. Right? And then you're probably going to leave it longer because as the temperatures, the higher the temperature, the quicker it will age, really. Right? It'll, it may oxidize faster as well unless okay. it's topped up frequently. So if you're fermenting at, say, 70, like we mentioned before, you don't necessarily want to age at 70. No. Okay. No, not necessarily. Go ahead and drop that 65 down. 65 yeah. is good. Yeah. What's that, Oscar? Um I generally try to age at about 65 to 55, depending on what I've got. Okay. And like Mike said, uh, heavier, more complex uh, meads will take longer. A lighter, crisper kind of meads you can drink sooner. I've got a cherry sizer that I'm drinking right now that I made that's two months old. It's perfectly drinkable. Okay. And uh, then I've got the traditional um, oak-aged orange blossom that won the state fair that I had sitting for the better part of two years on oak. Ah, Okay. So that's good to know because I think there's a general consensus or at least a, a maybe a misnomer that says you got to have your meat sitting around for six months before you can have any of it. And Oscar's telling us he's having a nice two-month-old right now. That's not uh, – although the one you won with sat for quite a while, but you were trying to impart oak flavors into it. Right. Now, the I took a third place up there at the State Fair as well that was a cherry sizer, and that was – you know, only six months old. A six-month-old sizer there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the sizers you're drinking of mine right here are only probably ten days old. Really? Now, so would that make us metaphiles? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would, Doc. <laughs> Actually, it's like the equivalent of ten-year-olds here. Yeah. Uh, but you like have sped ones. that up with the nutrient process that you talked about earlier. So, well, you, the fermentation process is is you know. Advanced. It, it, it's, it's more advanced than pretty much what any home brewer can do just because of the temperature control that I have available in my tanks. Okay. Right. So, Doc, you could get some stuff out quick because you've got basically got a Yeah, my, my mind's already going on this one. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're fine. You could have meat here by next week. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I got temp control. I can, I got, I can do it. Yeah, Mike, can do Mike's absolutely right about the, the nutrient dosing and the management of the fermentation. Probably the single most important part of the, of the process. And I approach the the mead making that I do just like I do wine making, and so I'm very very focused on the fermentation management and the nutrient and the amount of oxygen that's given up front, as well as uh, during the process and and dosing the nutrient at the end of the life phase and the one third sugar break and such. Yep. Uh, pretty much all the things that we say about beer too. Exactly. You know, yeah. same kind of things that we're talking about. Uh, Vicky wants me to make sure I say, and I know this, but people know you as Oscar. Oscar's actually Pete. Pete is Oscar. Oscar's Pete. It's the same thing. <laughs> uh, Pete's, uh, is, is Pete's real name. And, but Oscar is what you're known by, uh, on gotmead.com in That's the forums. Correct, yeah. Is that right? So I figured everybody would know you by that, so I use Oscar. <laughs> I do the same with our listeners. Uh, uh, believe it or not, our listeners all have real names, and I don't know any of them. Uh, they all go by their forum names, and that's what we do here. So if it's okay with you, Oscar, I'm sticking with Oscar. <laughs> no problem. Okay. 
Uh, I think the most important question of the night, and I hope not to put the two of you on the spot that you don't have pen and paper in front of you or anything, but people want to know uh, a great recipe for a first-time brewer. So, uh, And I guess that would include the ratio and the whole bit, somebody who's going to do it for the very first time, and I'll let each of you answer individually. Um, what do you think, Mike? Would you have a good uh, recipe for somebody? Two and a half pounds of your favorite honey per gallon of water and a uh, good yeast. Okay. And yeah. choose the yeast whether you want it dry or Yeah, sweet. exactly. Right. So I, I would probably say like a, uh, you know, Lallemand, you know, K1V. Okay. Good, All right. Good choice. Depends on the honey too, right? So get a, you know, wildflower honey would probably be ideal. Okay. And for that first time brewer, would they boil or just go to 170? Just heat it up because a big problem people have on home brewers is if you've got a pot and you start boiling. Yeah. Once that honey starts to boil, yeah. you're not stopping it from overflowing. Okay. See, we know about that uh, overflow just in brewing, and if it's worse with me, yes. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Like, yeah, just do the 170 then. Nothing right? worse than having your kitchen floor covered in honey. Yeah, yeah that's not good. All right, Oscar, you want to answer that too? Sure, I'm a, uh, a no heat kind of guy, so I'll just say get yourself a good uh, fermentation bucket from your local homebrew store and uh, mix up your must with your favorite kind of honey. Balance it to about uh, between 1.120 to 1.130. And uh, get either uh, the Lalvan 71B1122 yeast or the Lalvan D47 yeast to throw it in there. Um, you know, inoculate it well. And uh, after the end of the lag phase, hit it with some nutrient. And at the one-third sugar break, hit it with some nutrient, and you're good to go. Cool. Would you do me a favor, Oscar, and partly because you're on a phone connection, so I just want to make sure everybody gets it. Uh, would you mind going to our forum and posting that for us? Sure, no problem. And what, what yeast uh, nutrient do you like? I like, uh, I rehydrate with GoFirm and then I dose with DAP at the end of the lag phase and Fermade K at the one-third sugar break. Okay. Right, that, that's a good idea there, yeah. yeah. Say it once more just so everyone can get that. Sure, I rehydrate with GoFirm, which is a rehydration nutrient which does not have DAP in it. Then at the end of the lag phase, I give them usually a combination of Fermade K and DAP. Uh, 70 to 30 in favor of the Firm 8K, and then at the one-third sugar break, Firm 8K. Okay. Yeah, actually, if you if you go to my website, you'll be able to find there's a like a 15-page booklet that I put up there for people that can download. You can more than welcome to put it on your on Brewing Network site. Oh, so no people kidding. can basically learn how to make me just a quick guide. Shit, Mike, we could have been done it two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, rabbitsfootmeadery.com, or you can, you can click on the link on our homepage, too. It'll be up there for another few days, uh, so you can get all that information. And Oscar says he's going to go post that on our forum, too. Yeah, no problem at all. Cool. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, just put it in our beer radio or something so people know where to find it, because I think they'd like to be able to read that off of there, too. Sure, will uh, do. A, spe- a question that came through specifically for you, and maybe you just answered it, uh, but they want to know, uh, what is your favorite homebrew mead recipe? So I guess not your starter, but your favorite one, and is that available? on gotmead.com so uh, there's a couple of them out there that are available on gotmead.com I'm a notorious mixer of honeys and I know <laughs> I know Mike dabbles in that too uh, but uh, as Mike said honey changes year to year so what I try to do to maintain consistency uh, as much as a home brewer can is I go ahead and blend my honeys based on mouthfeel taste and aroma and try to get the same kind of a profile every year and that's kind of tough given the you know given the, the way of honey and, and who you get it from every year but uh, I like to mix orange blossom honey with buckwheat honey and mesquite honey. And uh, I go ahead and generally oak that. 
I like it on the sweeter side, so I use D47 yeast most of the time. And, yeah, I don't have a problem. I'll post that one up there, too, for you. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Or we can send people to gotmead.com, too. I don't mind that if they want to check their forum. But, if you you know, if you post on our forum, just put a link to your recipes over on the other forum, too. Okay, well good. You can post that. I don't. I don't mind all that. That'd be that'd be fantastic. I I kind of like any recipe that has the word buckwheat in it. Though. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm kind of juvenile that way. And buckwheat, buckwheat. <laughs> it's <laughs> like little buckwheat. You know, it's just kind of funny. Not, not, not buttwheat. <laughs> but yeah, we need to start one move. I have to do. I have to do a Mike Fall service announcement here, though. Uh-oh. Anybody that's listening to this show or is in the chat room that's listening that has connections in Kentucky, Mike has a barrel of heather mead, heather yeah. honey, excuse me, in bondage in Kentucky, and he needs help getting it released. Right. The federal government is holding it hostage. So we can bust it out? Yeah. He said bondage. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he meant. Yeah, that's exactly what he meant. <laughs> okay. Um, bondage in Kentucky, I don't think we want those two together. Yeah, that's a different kind of... It's like, uh, yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. Uh, okay, here's a couple questions that came through. We um, like a pig. Here's a two-part question. Came through from two different people, even. Uh, one of them was, uh, so we're, we're talking about aging mead. Uh, they want to know how long the shelf life is. And then the other part of that is specifically somebody asked, uh, I want to make a 21-year-old mead for my newborn daughter, Emily. And uh, make, it, make it strong, make it sweet. Okay. Bottle it, keep it on its side, and leave it in the cupboard somewhere because you will drink it. So you think, you it's, think possible? it's possible? Yeah, that's. Uh, well, I've got 14 year old bottles at home. Have you tasted them yet? Oh yeah, they're awesome. They're, aren't they really good? Oh yeah. Oh, they, cool. they Meat is weird because honey is a natural antioxidant, yeah. natural preservative. Really, it won't go bad. Okay. Okay. Higher alcohol, higher sugar, keep it forever. And if you get some of that heather uh, honey, yeah, you could make a really good. That stuff goes forever. Right. That's what I heard. <laughs> what if, what if you, would you recommend uh, the boil method to somebody who's going to keep meat around for a long time? I don't or? think it matters. If you ferment it up to 14 to 18 percent, it won't make any difference. Just the alcohol alone will keep it. Yep. Uh, okay, cool. So there, if you have a higher alcohol mead, then there really is no definite uh, shelf life that you know of. I'm not aware of one yet. Okay. No, I've had, I don't have any that are 14, but um, I've given gifts and such that people have opened 10, 11 years later, yeah. and they're really, really great, and it just seems like they get better and better. Okay. The, the, the two bottles I have left of my 14-year-old are have people's names written on them. Yeah. One's my brother. It's for his 50th anniversary. Nice. The other one's for my daughter for her 21st. I oh, see so you got one, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. A brother or a daughter? Uh, both. Right. <laughs> now, just that you've got the 21-year-old mead uh, hanging around, too. That's a good thing. Yeah. See, I don't make anything for anybody. If, uh, <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to drink it next week, then I'll make it. You're going to make something for me uh, one day. I don't know. I'll leave you if you don't. A little too self-centered for all that. Ultimatums on the brewing network. Yeah. I've played beer for you. We've been getting a lot of ultimatums from her the last couple weeks, by the way. And I apologize about that. No, it's just the encouragement from the chat room. They tell me I can do better. Yeah. And they're probably right. As long as you don't know that, though, everyone stays happy. They should probably post their pictures first. Exactly. Or not. Thank you, Doc. You can always count on Doc to have my son. Yeah, you yeah. move in with Doc, then I don't care. 
Doc has a nice house. He does have a nice house. Yep. Okay, here is, uh, I know it's going to be sort of a, uh, a whatever you like best sort of question, but i got to ask it anyway because it came through. Uh, people want to know what are the best apples to use to make a, a meat or, I guess, a sizer. A sizer. Yeah. Well, it really depends, right? Okay. So when you make an apple cider, hard cider, you're looking for a specific blend of apples that have the right balance of sweetness, acidity, tartness, etc. Sizer is exactly the same. You're looking for that balance in in the juice, Right. If you're going to make a, a sizer with a single type of apple juice, then what you want to look for is something that's got, you know, as much of those things as you can. Okay. Right. So, in the cider world, they talk about apples being bitter sweet, bitter sharp, sweet things like that. Yeah. There isn't really a single apple that's good for that all on its own, but you can have an apple that's close. So maybe uh, you know pippins would be good. Yeah. Then the problem is, how can you juice the pippins yourself? You know, your juice master probably isn't going to do a very good job unless you have a press to press the juice out. Okay. You can do it with, uh, just, if you're going to buy a juice in your local grocery store, just buy something that says all organic and just buy the juice. Okay. Take that, mix it with your honey, and maybe add a quarter teaspoon of, uh, like grape tannin to it instead to give it that extra bit of bite because most juices you'll buy in the store are going to be from very sweet apples. Okay. And that tannin will give it that extra little bit of bite. Gotcha. That's good advice right there. Chris Graham, you've been sort of quiet today, but you're a mead guy. You, you really like the meads, and you make them yourself. I do. Uh, my two today stunk. Oh, did you try terrible. it? I didn't yeah. try yours. No, actually, I got one. I got a third one of his over yeah. here. Well, that one, Why, was, are, that are one they... was never meant to age out at all. You said that about your cider that I like mistakenly dipped into last week. Was it any good? Oh, it wasn't good when I first had it. <laughs> you bastard. Mike, did you try Chris Graham's uh, mead? I did. Was it crap? Uh, yes. Yes. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> it is. I, I'll, I'll say it for everyone. Now, is that because it's too old or it didn't start out good? Uh, no, actually, people love, like the tall bottle people love, but I made that Let specifically for a wedding. I don't think it was bad. I mean, I up, up against up against these, it's different. Yeah. It's tough. And the, the small bottle I bottled today, and I don't know, there's a thing in winemaking called bottle shock, and I swear it's gone through bottle shock because mm. it's, it's thin, has no body to it, no... What is bottle shock, Which Chris? is one I'm having right here that I just poured from that tall bottle. That one was one I made for a wedding, and that was supposed to be... No, he's drink. talking about the little little bottle so here. This one that I'm about to drink is the one that you say is crap, though. Both of them are, yeah. This is, this is re-fermented in the bottle. You can see the yeast on the bottom, and he's got carbonation in his glass as well. It's a little medicine-y. That... It's a little unbalanced. Chris, Chris, open that one. Let's see. I think let it age for another five or six years. Yeah, we're trying a few old ones. Oscar, I wish that I had had you said this. This one I had to make for a wedding, so I only had six months to do it for. This one I made for another wedding, and I only had six months to do it for. Open that one. Let's. uh, So I have lots of excuses. Yeah, that (laughs) one. That one I just had's got that minty fresh band aid flavor going. Yeah, Yeah, uh, you don't want you don't want that. Ever so good. Poor Chris Graham, so throwing him under the bus here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't you worry, he's had the best time. He's had uh, all of Mike's uh, yeah. Oh, I'm having a blast. <laughs> he's yeah. happy, you yeah. know. He's closest to all the open bottles. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've I mean, been sharing glasses and just yeah. drinking. Now, Oscar, even though it's going to be late, uh, you got to send us some stuff so we can try yours, too. I mean, you're like Captain Award winner over there. <laughs> so uh, we got to try that, right? Yeah, sure. I've, I've got a couple here that um, I'm bottling up to send out for sampling to a couple folks anyhow, so I'll be happy to send a couple up. Okay, cool. That'd be She's good. the king made a file. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay, we got to wrap things up, I think. I think I've got most of all of the questions um, answered. 
No. What was it? Did this uh, come through? Yeah, I do. What, what no, about there are still some. Oh, we, I know. We got to chase some meat still. That's true. Um, got a few left. Yeah, uh, uh, he answered this. See, sometimes, like, I just, I, I, we already did the question. Well, yeah. recap then. <laughs> uh, should somebody use champagne yeast if they want to dry? Sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great way to, great way to do it. Oscar, you ever use uh, champagne yeast in your meats? Yeah, I use, uh, I use both uh, Lalamond and some of the uh, Red Star champagne yeast in certain meads that I make as well. Cool. And when we did a cider show, we found that cha- champagne yeasts are, are good for all sorts of things. Uh, some brewers use them for, for just bottle conditioning, um, and also uh, they're great for ciders, and now we find that they're good for dry meats too. Yeah, they're fast and clean. I think I would use a champagne yeast because I like the I like them dry. The, yeah. the drier it is, I think the more I enjoy that that flavor. Uh, I can uh, I like the honey, but I want it to go away right. when I uh, when in the aftertaste. So I think the sure. dry mead would uh, kind of. I won't say that. <laughs> I like the honey, but go away. <laughs> then go away. <laughs> That's right. Uh, who wrote this? That Heather Honey ages out in two to three years. Do you know who? Gave Vicky. Vicky. Mm-hmm. Vicky wanted us to know that Heather Honey, which I guess is a, a, a form of, of honey, um, it ages out in two to three years. So I guess if you're using Heather Honey, you don't want to go longer than right. three years. Is that what she was saying? Well, she was just giving an FYI. Just an inf- informative tidbit of it. Exactly. Okay. Thanks. There's, there's actually, there's also uh, a couple of things there with Heather Honey. It's uh, one of those kinds that the uh, English meads made with Heather Honey. They're saying. You know, let it go eight years minimum in yeah. some cases. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's two different types of Heather as well. Right. Oh, okay. Doc, be careful with that mead bottle you're about to open because I was told it, it's overcarbonated and it will gush. Yeah. So where do you want to And the thing it? just broke off of it anyway? No, I, oh. I haven't finished. Yeah. You want me to go uh, take it yeah, for the porcelain? Outside. Or just take it to the head when it starts overflowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. Maybe just hold it over the cooler. Yeah. I want to see it. So just bring the cooler over, and uh, uh, Mike's moving away. Yeah, right everyone's now. moving away. Vicky is just chiming in saying that her last Heather Honey took two to three years. That's just how long it took for her. Oh, before it got to. Oh, yeah. I see. So it's not that it's a cap at two to three years. It took that long to get to maturity. Exactly. Okay, uh, the good clarification. Good thing to know there. Okay. Want to play a Stump the Meat Man? Yes, but I do have one more question. All right. <laughs> Sure. We'll stump both. Oscar, you're allowed to, to play along, too. And as a prize, we have Mrs. Henning's fudge again. <laughs> really? Yeah. She's going to send out more fudge. Did she send it out last week or something? I don't know. But she <laughs> offered. All right. Well, fudge. There you go. Um, is the sweet mead clone recipe in BYO, Mike, is that directly from Rabbit's Foot? It is. It is? Okay, so that's your one of your sweet mead recipes that you put right in there. It sure is. That wasn't a gusher, was it? So that's all mead, how you do it, baby. Okay, well, this mead that we're about to try here is from Casey Dave, and he's one of our longtime listeners. We had the pleasure of meeting him just before the anniversary show. Yeah, he had a child just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he gave us this mead while he was out here. We've been holding on to it, and he wanted us to uh, have it on a, on a certain occasion, and we thought the mead show would be the perfect time to do it. That way everybody could... Uh, kind of give their input. Now, I want you all to know in, this, in the studio here uh, that Casey Day is a real nice and cool guy, and he's also very uh, sort of down-to-earth. So just because he just had a baby doesn't mean you have to say his meat is good. Uh, he'll be fine if you have any criticism about the thing. He's a, he's a, he's a home brewer like the rest of us, and he wants to know uh, what the deal is. So, But what a nice idea to brew a beer or a meat for his daughter. Yeah, to have for that's 21 beautiful, years. You know? and, uh, that's a, that's a cool is this thing. the one that's gonna, he's going for 21 years on this particular one? I don't one? think no, so. I no, I think he was just asking and inquiring because... He's about to brew a new if one. he could do ah. another one, yeah. Because yeah, if you leave these in the bottle for 21 years, they'll all explode. 
Oh, because it's a carbonated. It's yeah. very sweet, so it's probably still fermenting in the bottle. Oh, uh, okay. Ah, good point. So that's something you want to look out for when you're doing a long-aged mead is that uh, – or at least you want to – like you were talking about earlier – be absolutely sure that you strip out all of the yeast. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Or uh, sterile filtration and sterile bottling. Yeah, or if you're doing, uh, you know, like this method champenois where you're actually kind of bottle carbonating or bottle fermenting, Yeah. maybe you want to do uh, disgorgement. Yes. All right. Okay. Which is? Uh, it's where they turn the bottle upside down, get it, get all the yeast to go to the, to the neck of the bottle, yeah. freeze the neck of the bottle, Oh yeah. and, and then get it out. Okay. And uh, the... Maltos Falcons did that with some Belgian beers, and it came with a, a good way to get it really cold. You use uh, dry ice and acetone. Gets right. it down to about nine minus ninety. Exactly. Oh, no yeah. kidding! Yeah. yeah, that seems like the glass would would. Well, it does really. Break. It's really thick. Oh, just, yeah. just the tip of the the tip of the neck. Yeah, and then it freezes, and then the plug comes out with all the all the crap. Okay, and then you put the uh, cork back in. It. Yeah. Nice. T- very time and labor intensive. Though. Okay. Yeah. But you could do it at home with oh, sure, yeah, acetone with and dry yeah, ice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who, who doesn't have both of those? I just want to get some acetone and dry ice and start freezing all kinds of stuff. Bananas and things. Down to your local hardware store picking up some acetone. Yeah, they're like, okay, he's making meth. Doc's picking up ether, all kinds of fun stuff. KC Dave, I'm going to be the first one to say here, this is this is very nice. This is a great mead. I'd agree, actually. I like it. It's got good sweetness. It's kind yeah. of it's, uh, it's good, like some cool spice kind of thing. Yeah, it going. does, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely spicy. There's yeah. still a little yeast in there too, so it's kind of reminiscent of like a Belgian ale, almost mm-hmm. like, a, like a golden strong ale. Yeah, it almost has uh, some uh, banana clove characters to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's probably that's from probably from the yeast, maybe. Mm. Real mild but present honey flavor. I yeah. like that. You yeah. Still, get, you're getting all that. I think it's very sparkly. I like that too. Yeah, me too. I, I like a little carbonation in there. Well, it's very sweet, so I think that really kind of uh, balances it with the high carbonation. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, good job, Casey Dave. Thanks very much for uh, giving that to us. You've you've done well. Uh, any, uh, if he were to, uh, they're always wanting constructive criticism. So if you can pick out anything in particular that maybe y- you would have changed, I'm sure he'd love to hear it. Any one of you. Yeah, I mean, I would just you know keep an eye on the total amount of sugar you have when you put it into the bottle for fermentation, right? My big concern would be that the bottle would explode. Okay. Right. As a commercial producer, I couldn't sell that because I would know if the bottle was going to explode in somebody's house or not. You're in or on the shelf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. on the shelf it might be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing to keep an eye on is uh, if you're going to be bottling and you're going to be doing it with a, uh, a residual sugar mead or a residual sugar sparkling mead, it's probably a good idea to let it go ahead and go through malolactic fermentation before you do that, just in case. Sure. Okay. Good advice. All right, are we ready for Stump the Mead Maker? We're so ready. Okay. A <laughs> uh, game we like to play here off, it's usually Stump the Brewer or occasionally it's Stump the Yeast Guy. It depends on who's sitting in your chair there, Mike. Uh, luckily, you've got Oscar to help you uh, today, too, so you get a little help. Uh, keep in mind, eventually you will get stumped. There, Our listeners are relentless, and they'll end up asking you, like, the history of meat on the moon uh, before they'll give up uh, you having all the Or answers. the history of the moon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you uh, will the, go down. But the two of you can chime in and... And uh, it, should you be stumped, then I guess Mrs. Henning, one of our listeners, is going to send fudge. To, exactly. To fudge somebody. or a rub. Or a rub? Yeah, which, yeah. She has some rub, too, apparently. Maybe How about a fudge rub? Maybe some Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. rub. Oscar wants a fudge rub. <laughs> is that okay? Oscar is not going to get anything because he's going to be stumped. <laughs> okay. All right. You guys are ready for the first question? Sure. Fire away. 
Here we go. Besides contributing to meat knowledge, what else is Brother Adam famous for? Beekeeping. Books. Yeah, beekeeping. You wrote a book. Bookfest Abbey. Wow. Not stumped. <laughs> Not only that, they both said it like, you're stupid. Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was asking a listener, who is Brother Adam? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're dumb. <laughs> okay, uh, what else you got? All right. You got another one coming through? And what is, the next question is, what is the active ingredient in wormwood? In wormwood? Yeah. yeah. Well, it has nothing to do with mead, really, but it's, yeah, uh, it's some kind of uh, toxic chemical that the government doesn't allow you to use in commercial products in the United States. And, and, and no, Doc, Doc knows what it is. Doc, but you're not allowed to answer. Yeah, oh, I, I, know what, I know what it is. I just can't think of it. Oscar, do you know it? you know? Well, it's the, uh, the active ingredient that goes into absinthe that everybody wants right. to try and make bootleg here in the state. Uh. Not stumped. Yeah, they. Oh, is that all they said? Was the same as absinthe? Absinthe. Doc, oh, it's just absinthe. Is no, that it's what it's thulion? It's thulion. Thulion. Okay. Yeah, thulion. Which is also the active ingredient. It's in the, that's the. That's the minorly okay. psychoactive drug in there. Not wow, stumped. you guys are good. Okay, now we go into the goodies. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking too, Oscar. <laughs> oh, this is a warm up, huh? How many meteries does the state of Missouri have? <laughs> <laughs> I guess 13. <laughs> Missouri? Yeah. I'd guess either one or none. Yeah, one that, that I can think of, and that would be uh, Purtle Brothers. Purtle. Oh, a Purtle, true. Yeah, they're not really a meadery. They're a winery, right, yeah. that produces mead as a separate exactly. category it says product. Purtle's Weston's Vineyards. Yeah. One. Wow. Not stumped. Wow, you guys wow. are on a roll. I'm going to say. <laughs> Maybe they, they'll get the fudge rub. <laughs> yeah, they, say, yeah. they say, know thine enemy, right? <laughs> That's right. All the Purtle Brothers are great guys, though. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, so far, few guests have made it through so many questions. I think nobody. No, there's a couple who've made it so far. But uh, wow. you two are in the top three right now of guests who have been able to do this. All right. We're going to stump them now with a beer oh. question. Uh, and it's really something that nobody can know. But that's not fair. Nobody can know. How many licks does it take to get to? Nobody can know. Well, if you know that you're just a nerd. <laughs> okay. Well, then I won't answer it correctly. <laughs> yeah. It's just because just I want to be labeled as a nerd. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have to be labeled. But it's still interesting to know. Okay. Because it's our business. Yeah, the average know. American consumes how many gallons of beers annually? Uh, I might know this. You can guess. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you the, guys can just guess. The average American between the age of what? Yeah. Um, they don't do that. When they give well, the statistics, I, I think them. they just do that. Yeah. Is it per capita? I reversed the well, stump. <laughs> I, would, I would say they break it down to every American Man, woman, older child. than 21. Yeah. Okay, fine. I don't think they do that. They just do it per capita. But. Well, that is per capita, but per capita, no. that's older than 21. Yeah. Cans, bottles, or gallons? <laughs> gallons. 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 37. No, Oscar? I'd say 25. Three? It's like... I'll say 27. I was going to say 25 originally, but... Really? Yeah. I figured it was more. The average American... See, I thought it was way down, there, actually, yeah. at something like between three and four gallons. I thought it was 13. Duck? 13 is what I'm saying. Chris Graham? Let's go with something right in the middle. 18. You're all stumped. It's more. <laughs> what Oscar is it? was the closest, 23.1. This country is a country of sissies. That's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what is a German strength? It's huge. 100 gallons minimum. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> you're out. That's the che- the Czechs, the Czechs drink the most. Czechs drink the most. Uh, I think yeah. that's absolutely well, I would wrong. Too if I was Czech. <laughs> that they don't? The Irish drink the most. <laughs> well, because beer is Irish. so light, right? Right, like, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to an Irish guy, and he said, you know, it's not that we're all just alcoholics. We just have light beer. Yeah, it's true. And it's, it's true, true because... Because Guinness is lighter than your IPA. It's 4.1%. Right. Yeah, we come to America, we drink American beers, and we kind of sit there and drink, well, 
well, you know, there's need more of these. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you want to talk sissies, Daniela. Germany has fallen from number one to, like, not even in the top ten or something. Like yeah, that. what's that all about? Well, yeah, because we, have, we have absinthe legalized now in the country. She's full of shit. Although the wine's moving up. The best times I ever had was in the uh, Hofbrau Bavaria tent during... Uh, Oktoberfest? Yeah, during Oktoberfest in Munich. Yeah. You betcha, that's, <laughs> that's a, good a good time. time. Actually, Germany is still isn't in the top ten. It's the Aussies who used to be way up there right. that aren't even in the top ten yeah. anymore. That's because because they have crappy beer. Fosters, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so the question for the uh, the listening audience, if I want to stump them, what, okay. is the, what is the number one selling beer in Ireland now? Oh. Can I answer? Budweiser. Yeah, sure. yeah exactly. It is. Are you kidding me? No. There's is it really? Yep. But what a shame. There should be a law against that. <laughs> Don't they have laws like that in the, Germany? It's not the so. good Budweiser, it's the American exactly Budweiser. Right. Yeah, it's not Budvar. Yeah. I think Budweiser is not allowed to be labeled as beer in Germany, actually. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? It's the number one there. It sure is now, yeah. That's sad. That's why I won't go back anymore. Wow. <laughs> well, you as an Irish, do you like to drink Guinness and do you, you yeah, know, sure. pr- produce it yourself too? or? No, I don't make any Guinness. You don't? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have enough stuff to make that one tank isn't just Guinness yeah exactly. it's not your Guinness tank <laughs> I gotta say when I was 15 and first started drinking legally in my country Guinness was the first beer that I got hooked on actually really? because we we, are, we always went to the Irish pubs because that was just the best fun you know you had live music there you had your Guinness you had some of the chips and that's it yep. Drunk Irish best guys. time ever but what a disgrace of a German you are did you, <laughs> did you blend that with Sprite too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. we'll just do that the German beers. Put a little Fanta <laughs> in that. <laughs> What's that drink you do with Fanta and and, and no, beer? No, we don't mix anything with. Oh, we do actually. Yeah, we yeah. have we mix Fanta with red wine in Croatia. We call it a Mussolini or a Mishmish. There you go. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. See, Fanta you can hardly even find in the U.S. Like it's there, but nobody drinks Fanta. We mix uh, Weizen beer yeah. with uh, vanilla ice cream and Fanta. Really? Mm-hmm, and call it a snow. A snow no. beer puts the Ice kids to bed. Right? Snow <laughs> beer, yeah. And we also, I told you the other day, we also mix a uh, wheat beer, Weizen beer with banana juice. Oh okay. yeah, that's right. She was telling me that. Where, where, where banana you, in the where first you, place? Yeah, where do you I find said. the banana juice? <laughs> well, it already tastes banana. Yeah. yeah. And then you dump a bunch of banana juice in it. That's just freaky. How Is that you, a Bavarian thing? That's a Bavarian thing. Yeah. How do you wow. juice a banana? How do you get bananas in Bavaria? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of questions about bananas. I think it's African swallows apply them. <laughs> exactly. no. yeah. I don't know. We like our mixed drinks. It's all the mixed stuff. No. Oh, somebody was talking about Polish meat earlier and the dilutions, the names for them and all that. Yeah. yeah. We have a bottle I, I of it here. off the top of my head. You Those know are, them? Uh, like a two units uh, for each water is uh, Polterak. Um, equal amounts of water and honey is uh, Dvojniak. Uh, triple the water is Troyniak, and uh, the, I'm sorry, triple is Vorniak, and then two units of water for each unit of honey is uh, Troyniak, if I remember right. Somebody was mentioning something about geek? What? <laughs> no, <laughs> look at the what's big really brain sad, on Oscar. What's really sad is they all sounded like the same word to me. Yeah. <laughs> See? Now you know what I'm talking about, Chris Graham. Go ahead and make fun, and then at the end of the show, you're like, who knows all these words? <laughs> okay, we get the list of the biggest beer-drinking nations in the world. Number okay. one, Czech Republic. Number two, Ireland. Yeah, Props you. to you, Mike. Number three, Germany. <laughs> so we're still up there. You're up there. We're yeah. still up there. And I mean, we drink a lot of wine. Dr. Scott is right that yeah. wine has been really on the rise in Germany, yeah. just like here in the U.S. too. Uh-huh. 
Okay. Number four, Austria. Really? Yeah. That's the same as thought. Germany. Well, they get our beer. Number five, Belgium, of course. Six, UK. Seven, Denmark. Eight, Slovak- Slovakia. Nine, Australia. Ten, Venezuela. And then only the U.S. We're number 11? You're number 11. You suck. Hey, I'm Ours surprised we're number 11. 11. We yeah. get a lot of we people We go to here. 11. You know, how many people do you have in Germany? I mean, come on. Let's <laughs> 82 do, million. Let's do numbers to numbers. But it's yeah. kind of Wait, unfair. Doesn't that work to our disadvantage? Like, doesn't it make us bigger sissies? No, that we have more people We have more people, so more of them are going to not drink. But de- <laughs> oh, what definitely works against the U.S. is that you guys are only allowed to start drinking with 21. I think that's the only country in the world. Yeah. In yeah. Europe, drinking legal drinking age is either 15, like in Bavaria, or maybe be maximum 18 oh. so that works yeah. against you guys well see? we see what happens to you guys when that when we let you drink that early <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, rem- I remember when i was 14 years old delivering bread in a bread delivery truck in ireland walking into a bar because that's where the driver always went to for lunch every day walking up to the bar 14 years old put you know a pound on the counter and the guy gave me a pint of beer isn't that beautiful wow absolutely and you got back in your truck and drove off no i, I wasn't driving <laughs> and see, other pub. Yeah. mike and i turned out well so there is no reason yeah. for not having that yeah you're but both sitting you in a garage <laughs> on a sunday night doing a beer show well but at least we have a real job what about you justin i have a it's real just uh, just not too many days a week the <laughs> <laughs> real job per definition money. Didn't you say I was getting paid for this? <laughs> <laughs> my, my fault. Talk yeah, when I was uh, 16, I headed, I headed my happy ass down to Mexico to get myself <laughs> yeah. some drink. Oh, yeah. Two weeks in Mexico and... Uh, two weeks for a beer? Time of my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you were a kid living in Southern California and yeah. you had a friend with a car... Oh, yeah. You lived in Mexico. That's right. Uh, weekends, long weekends, <laughs> uh, any kind of holiday, you're in, in Mexico. I always liked how they tried to pretend to card you. <laughs> yeah. 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 What was that about? Oh, they look at they look at it out like your Mickey Mouse fan club. They can't read it. Like, all right, <laughs> exactly. And like if you were in the Croatian community over in San Pedro, California, where I grew up, we all make our own wine anyhow. So the kids get wine from as old as they can. You know, their you know little bit of wine in the bottom of the tumbler, and then they fill the rest of it up with water. And over the years, you get more and more wine ratio to water. Yeah, <laughs> I, caught, I caught my I caught my seven year old daughter uh, drinking some of the hard sizer out of the taps one day. Really. <laughs> And uh, how did that go? She likes it. Yeah? <laughs> was she hammered? Or was she just taking sips? Oh, oh. just sips. <laughs> yeah. big, big sips. You know, it's interesting, Oscar, what you say. I'm thinking about it, how you just sort of, uh, you know, you dilute it at the beginning, and then you just make that concentration higher. I'm kind of thinking, though, that if as the person grows, it's actually constant. So they were just as hammered in the beginning as they are when they're when they're 16. Could be because of the the blood, you know, or just the the weight ratio. Exactly. Yeah. So you're keeping it. It's pretty much a steady thing you were doing there. See, I was yeah, thinking of it like Budweiser to real beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Actually, got uh, it was funny because I went to school one day after lunch, and uh, the girl in front of me raised her hand and she said. Do I have to sit in Pete in front of Pete anymore because he smells like wine? <laughs> <laughs> and that's then actually going pretty to cool. School in that community, anyhow, everybody kind of went, "Yeah, but don't we all?" <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Pete was the wine smelly kid. <laughs> I was just a smelly kid. I'd rather be the wine smelly kid. You're all right, Pete. If you come by the meadery sometime, I'll tell you some good stories about uh, uh, putching. Putching. You Puch- at least got to tell us what it is. Putching is uh, Irish moonshine. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Like made in the bathtub kind of moonshine? No. Is that how you say it? I thought it was poochine. No, poochine. Okay. Right. P- and P-O-I-T-I, father, and. Yeah. 
And does it, like everybody make it there, or is it just several kind of... people make it? <laughs> <laughs> several people per block make it. There you go. Well, when you, when, you, when you live out in the country in the middle of the bog, you yeah. know a couple of things. You yeah. know who's at mass on Sunday mornings in Ireland, and where to get your punching. And was that your first uh, taste of alcohol, or was beer? Uh, I couldn't tell you. No? You can't remember? <laughs> they were giving it to me before I was even out. <laughs> they were to dock anyway. Well, in, in years ago, hospitals in Ireland would actually give you, or give the mother, uh, Guinness. Okay. Be- while she was pregnant. Really? All the nutrients? Well, it's iron. Yeah, lots of iron. And actually, dark beer is something that's very, very good for a mother just after she's given birth, if she's breastfeeding, because it helps to fortify the colostrum in the mother's milk. Thanks for more than one reason. Yeah. <laughs> so now when you say they gave her Guinness, like they gave her a Guinness or they gave her Guinness? Basically, the doctor said you need to have a pint of Guinness every day. Okay, so a pint a day. That's or, a good or, deal. Yeah, or two. Yeah, that's wow. a hair. Or whatever she felt like. Yeah. <laughs> if she missed start, a couple of days, she could have a six-pack. Start with a pint. Go from there. <laughs> yes, Remember, right. it's a real pint, not an American pint. If the baby's still kicking, you can have another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the if the baby kicks more, you can so, have three. So how did the IRA come about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a big mess is going on there. Uh, I read a news story today on my FM show. Guinness has made a red beer. That's what I heard. It's a red Guinness. Uh, they say it's it's a it's almost the same recipe. It's still a four point one percent beer, but they didn't roast the grains quite as much, and it has a really red hue to it. But they're only they're testing it in Britain. It's only been made for a, a, it's got a UK target just for the UK. It's not even going to come here, as far as they say. Yeah, right. But I would yeah I know that if it's they popular, would have told us about it if it wasn't coming here. Well, I read it in a UK uh, newspaper. Yeah, they're so. they're they're trying to like, build the market. Sure, okay, build the buzz. And then, yeah, build the buzz. Because I want to try it, and it, they say it'll still be nitro fed too. So it's a full on Guinness except for red. So I'm curious. It's interesting. I'd rather try that than the Guinness Light they're about to come out with, what? which they're doing too. They're doing like a two point three percent. How do you make Guinness any lighter? I know they're making a two, and and that one they actually are going to put in Ireland. Uh, it's like a two point three percent Guinness. It's you know it's got to fight kids. with that Budweiser. No, it's, it's for kids. <laughs> it is. It's 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 near beer. It's they'll have little beer. they'll have little juice boxes on the way to school. They have <laughs> they Guinness. sell cans of shandy. Same thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right, Oscar, we're going to hit the road, but I want to thank you for calling in, man. My pleasure. And, uh, hey, keep up the good work. One of the most award-winning meat guys uh, I've ever I've ever heard of, so that's awesome, Oscar. Oh, thanks. And really you're going to send us it. some of that good stuff? Definitely. We'll send some better up to you. Okay. Uh, you can find Oscar on the Got Mead Forum. He's the administrator there, and uh, just an all-around good guy. you got a lot of fans, Oscar. People sent me emails about you, making sure that I got you on the show, too. So yeah. Get to them before <laughs> yeah. they get hacked. That's right. <laughs> uh, I think somebody like Mike is a little more deservingly of that, uh, but uh, let me tell you, his stuff is great, and uh, I, I just can't wait till he gets his uh, thing. Are you in full operation now over there, Mike? Totally. Cool. Full operation. Lounge ready to go. Everything's done. And the yeah, lounge. We just had our first. All he cares about is the lounge. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had a, we had our first group of thirty people in the other day, and they they thought it was a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they couldn't find their way out of the Justin, lounge. Justin, it's ro- a small road floor. trip for yeah, us. Yeah, we're going. That's I think that sounds like a great stop. Yeah. Let's do it. Daniela, you want to drive the Hummer? Forget <laughs> it. I don't like the Hummer. I'm going to drive my little car. What no. little car? Well, I'm going to get a hybrid. Okay, you, fine. As long as you're driving, I just want somebody to drive wait, me. Wait, wait. Me, Chris, and Doc are sitting in yeah. the back. Yeah, prefer, you guys prefer, can do that. I prefer Hummers. But. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> what kind of a European are you, Mike? <laughs> you want to live in America? <laughs> Thanks, Oscar. Free. I appreciate it. All right, good to talk to you. Take care, buddy. Bye.
Good old Oscar from GotMead.com. He's a good guy and knows lots about meat. So if you want some uh, information, I'm sure that his email is available or just private message him on the GotMead.com forum. And, of course, thank you to Vicki Rowe, the uh, founder and uh, webmaster of GotMead.com. She's a really cool lady. I've talked to her a few times, and she's a lot of fun, and uh, she's really nice and, and very supportive. She's one of these people in the industry, uh, the, the whole beverage industry, who isn't about uh, keeping secrets and, and, and this is me and that's you. She's, she's very supportive of everything. Everybody. So, she's obviously passionate about the whole thing, too. She is, she's into it, and, and she's a lot of fun. So thank you to Vicky of GotMe.com. And then, of course, uh, Julia Hers of uh, Honeywine.com, another person who's just so dedicated uh, to the field. And it, I, I don't know. I always like meeting these people and talking to them because it's the people who are passionate about it and who go the extra mile and find uh, innovative ways to help that uh, really move the whole thing forward for home brewers and commercial uh, brewers and, and mead makers alike. So uh, Julia Hers at Honeywine.com. Com. Thank you for being on the show, too. And go check it out because you can buy uh, mead and honey wines from all over through that site, which is really a good deal. And, and there's not a lot of places who go through the trouble of doing that. There's a lot of legal issues you've got to overcome. And uh, she's done that. So uh, check it out over there. Of course, Mike Fowl from uh, Rabbit's Foot uh, Meadery. We're going to keep drinking your mead because uh, uh, we got a few open bottles here. So, uh, <laughs> as usual, there's a some couple empty of things. Too. Some uh, empties, too. A couple of things floating around here. We'll keep doing the mead thing with Mike. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And I want to thank Mike and his wife, Mariah, who's been hanging out with us all night long, actually. Just left the chat room because she has to put your uh, kids to sleep. Now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Did uh, the chat Were the chat room nice to her? Oh, absolutely. Cool. We got a nice chat room. You don't got to worry about that, Mike. Okay. Yeah, no, bo- it's, not, it's not one of those places, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, they most likely sat there and made fun of you the whole night with your wife. Perfectly fine. No, I'm used actually, to it. they're sitting around making fun of you, Justin, all night long. <laughs> yeah, but that happens every week. So, uh, there's no difference. You have thick skin already. That's right. So the two, hey. thi- the two things they do in the chat room, because I never get to see it, they make fun of him. Yeah. Yes. They hit on you. Yeah. Um, those are pretty no. much the standards. If I give out ultimatums, there's a lot of guys instantly who tell me that I could move in. (laughs) (laughs) Got a place to go. Demand pictures. I got a place to go. (laughs) First, they do. Hey, I don't ever have to fight against all the other bad words because you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Do I have to say it? Danielle is here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Justin. um, Also, um, we were talking about the Doctoberfest video earlier in the chat. What's up with that? Uh, Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, The final copy. Should be here in about 40 minutes. Ooh. Really? Yeah. The fi- I have a pre-edited... Do I want to see this? Yeah, you do. It's really cool, Doc. You're going to like it. I have a pre-edited version, and I requested a, f- a couple of more changes, so uh, it took an, an extra couple of days, and I'm supposed to... Uh, we, because uh, you're still going to be here, are supposed to see the final copy of Doctoberfest. He said it'll be here at 9. Cool. With the, with the final copy. Uh, now, I do still have to work out uh, whose website I'm going to put the video up on. And what version they need it in. So give me a couple of days to do that, but uh, I'm all over it. I'm so everybody's clamoring to get it on their own website? <laughs> I predict Tuesday. Actually, I've had a lot of very generous offers from people. I'll host it, I'll host it, and i got to figure out which is uh, the easiest and and uh, most viable. So it'll, it'll be on YouTube. Right? <laughs> it'll be on YouTube before anything, yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking Tuesday, everybody, because I should have the final copy tonight, and then I have to get it formatted. Beautiful. Because you can't take the DVD and just put you got to get it for. I, I don't even know. But You don't shit. even know, but something Tuesday. needs to be done. Yeah, that's right. And uh, So there you go. So I'm hoping... But if we don't get hacked uh, between now and Tuesday, then I'll put it up then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you'll get to see it tonight, Doc, though. You're nice. Gonna, you're going to like it. It's cool. 
It's cool. There's a, was there's, I smiling most of the time? You're smiling. There. It's cool. Uh, Chris Graham, you were here for it, too. There's a lot of fun parts and funny parts. You'll see. There's a tear-jerking climax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything wow. that a good film should have. Justin cried. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there. Nice. No, it's good. It's a good one. Uh, and I was the thinking, video you know, this guy. actually is still Doctoberfest. I guess it's still in the month. That's yes. true. <laughs> yeah, Ed, the video guy did a great job, so we'll see the final copy tonight. I love your stuff. <laughs> Every single one I've tried tonight, I just love it. <laughs> Mike, she loves your stuff. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the, <juice. laughs> the stuff he produces. <laughs> yeah, the juice. Okay. Just keep digging it's fantastic. Yeah, you do. You make <laughs> no, I really, I want to advise everybody to check it out because it's really good stuff. And you can buy online, so that's a cool thing. Sure, yeah, you just come by the winery. Come by the meadery. Come check by the brewery part of it, whatever you like. If you're in California, you can do that. A lot of our listeners are all over the world, actually. So uh, you fo- do you ship internationally? No. You don't. No. So you can only get it within the U.S., unfortunately, although you could probably link up with one of our listeners who could get it shipped to their house who might just so happen to ship it to your house that's a, exactly country. what i was thinking yeah, just uh, there's a whole network we've got like an underground railroad uh going on in the <laughs> moving network, alcohol so. around the world <laughs> yeah, I, so. I know nothing <laughs> <laughs> so you can get it but go to rabbitsfootmetery.com or just click the link right on our homepage, or check out the newsletter and you can uh, order it right there so uh, i think that's uh, just about going to do it what do I got coming up next? I think I got a bunch of good music that's going to play for you guys, all of our funny stuff for the next hour, and uh, then we'll go back to regular programming. I want to remind you all to sign up for our newsletter, which will be coming out uh, later in the week. It comes out usually by the first of the month, and it tells you what's happening. Next week's show is Stone Brewing Company. Oh, Excited nice. about that. It's going to be a lot of fun because our brewer just uh, moved over from Budweiser to the craft beer world. So I, I, I'm going to enjoy that interview. And he's doing both the FM show and this show. So that'll be fun. Uh, shirts and a one-hour boil uh, is available through our store. Just hit the store. It is a safe place to go purchase things. Don't worry about that. Uh, just hit the brewingnetwork.com slash store or hit the store button on our homepage. Uh, buy Brew Your Own magazine uh, through our website and you can help the Brewing Network. Everybody's always asking how they can help out and keep us going. There's a link right on our page. It's a rotating banner. If you click on that and purchase Brew Your Own Mag, which is a great magazine. I think uh, everybody in this room has it. It's it's really a fantastic thing to uh, to check it out. And if you buy through there, you, you we get a commission. So. Chris was laughing at me because I got all mine in binders all the way back from <laughs> to 95. Is that right? Yeah. You're totally saving Nerd. Yeah, yeah, they're no. really good. <laughs> it's like kids' boy's life, and then brew your own. And then brew your own. Uh, Chris Colby, the editor, I've talked to him a couple of times. Uh, we're going to get him on the show, too. So it's a good deal. You can help us out that way. And click those uh, Google ads that are on our page. I'm actually not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to encourage people to click it, but what do I care? I can say it. Uh, click click the th- Google ads. Uh, because that helps, too, and it doesn't cost you anything. And uh, there sometimes there's actually good products on and there. And if uh, my website's on there, don't click it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of paying for those things. Yeah, that's right. There is uh, beer, beer, and more beer ever. Advertisements there. Tune in next week because not only do we have Stone, but it will be the first week to register for the Brewing Network's Ooh. Conical Christmas. Brought to you uh, both by uh, Beer, Beer, and More Beer. Chris Graham was nice enough to uh, donate for that. And HCA, which is HCA Industries. You can go to HCAIND.com. That's two conical fermenters. Uh, both are B3 fermenters, stainless steel, beautiful things. They're small. They're, uh, you guys said you do the 10 gallon ones though, right? Which are actually 12. whatever they want, seven or 12s. Seven or 12s. No, uh, we not barrel. Podcasters, <laughs> you'll have a chance to win too, so don't worry. But uh, I do encourage you to listen live and podcast because you'll up your chances. We've Justin, got we, we need a song. It's gonna be a Conical Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will write the song. We'll put oh, yeah. it on the push and spend. They can probably do it. 
All right, everybody. So happy Halloween. Next week. Uh, have a happy Halloween. Be safe, all right? Take care of each other, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot. Love of that home crew.